Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. I'm your host, Kyle Bird, and I am joined by my co-host, Matt Parmley. Um, and we have a guest today who, oddly enough, uh, I think this is, I think it's probably been about a year since we had him on last, but uh, it's our, our, good, our good buddy Trev. How you doing? I'm doing well. Why is that odd? I don't know. It's just like I'm. You, you've been on here quite a bit. Yeah. So you know we're already. It, it just seems uh, it's probably and the it, longest span of time. Yeah, and it took me pitching an episode idea to get back on. And, <laughs> and, and, I had to force my way in. <laughs> Bird, I blame you for this. <laughs> well, it was. It was. It wasn't the. It, it wasn't a bad idea. Um, if for some reason someone has not seen the episode title or description, um, we're 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 venturing away a, a bit from the kaiju landscape, and we're going to talk about Starship Troopers, and that includes probably more content than a lot of people realize. Um, six movies. Uh, one, there's a, a, a anime miniseries. There's a novel. Um, and, uh, you know, truth is, we have plenty of more traditional kaiju stuff lined up, so if you don't like this, too bad, you know, you got plenty more of that stuff. But, but I also, still make the argument, and the reason I brought this to you guys is I still make the argument, this is, this is at least kaiju-adjacent. Definitely, think, definitely. In a way that people don't often talk about. And, that's, and then the other thing I just want to quickly say is that what you just brought up is the very reason I thought this would be a cool thing to discuss is I don't think Starship Troopers does get talked enough about as a franchise. I, I think it's one of those things where I, I think you're right, but I think people might even be surprised to hear how much content there is. <laughs> yeah, I know. And, uh, and I think, you know, everyone knows the, the original movie, but I wanted to definitely, as someone who uh, will admit to being a fan of the franchise, I wanted to draw a little attention to it. Right. And, um, and, you know, also it, it, uh, has a very big presence in, with Japanese media, and you know we'll talk a little bit about that. But I mean, right off the bat, there's uh, an anime miniseries that I mentioned, and then the the last two movies were Japanese uh, co-productions with a Japanese director and largely Japanese animators. Um, so yeah, you could make the case that they're those are, those and in particular, Japanese giant monster film. So, um, but it, not only that, I mean, just the influence of the novel, um, which I guess is, is now is the best time to kind of introduce that aspect. Cause, uh, I feel like that's probably the best way to start. And then we'll start talking about the, the actual book itself. Um, but, uh, uh, feelings about the book aside, positive or negative, um, this is uh, Robert Hein. Is it Heinlein or Heinlein? Heinlein yeah. Okay. Um, and uh, this was the fifth. Is this fifty-seven? Fifty-fifty-nine. Fifty-nine. Okay. Um, the, the the military sci-fi they call it novel Starship Troopers. And uh, I mean, if you're familiar with, I mean, I mean, you. It's one of those things where you have probably seen a lot of the stuff that originated originated or was maybe popularized by that novel and you've seen it probably everywhere um i mean if you look at something like aliens or avatar 
or uh, any like anything that has the idea, space marines. I mean, that's all Starship Troopers. Um, a, a big influence. Um, I mean, the book was very popular in Japan as well, and that's where um, you know just the idea of a mechanized suit, a mech, the mech suit. You know, I mean, a lot of that is all going back to Starship Troopers. Um, in fact, uh, there was an artist. This is just stuff I came along and kind of looking at, uh, <clears throat> looking into this a bit for the episode. There's an art, a Japanese artist, Kazutaka Miyatake, um, and uh, one of the Japanese editions. I think it might have even it might have been the second edition. I don't know, but his cover uh, illustration for the Japanese novel was uh, of the mech suit, and um, and that is like. It was huge. So I mean, the I, the guy that created Gundam, you know, has has been on record and saying like, yeah, all my it it all comes from from Starship Troopers and um like the the Master Chief and Halo again. That's the, the mech suit from Starship from Starship Troopers and like particularly like that illustration. So um, yeah, feelings on the book aside, you know, which we'll get into. Um, the, the, it's one of those things where like the actual influence and impact it had is like, it almost, it can't really be overstated, you know, a very important piece of work. Um, it's like a, this is very much Starship Troopers kind of resides in that same arena as like a John Carter of Mars, right? Something that is probably even more important for everything it, it bore than what it is itself. Right. Yeah. 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 And, um, you can even see it uh, for kaiju fans and I guess anime fans. Um, this isn't of any real, you know, significance, but just kind of something fun to look for. Uh, um, Daikon, which was the the animator animators um, that like Hideki Anno uh, and a bunch of those guys uh, like did when they first started, and later it became Gainax, and they did Evangelion and all that stuff, but. Um, they did these little like three minute short films for these sci-fi conventions. Um, there's one called Daikon three and one called Daikon four. And those had, uh, the mech suits from Starship Troopers as well. And, and they had like everything. I mean, everything from Godzilla to Ultraman to, uh, Darth Vader to the Xenomorphs and X-Wings and the, uh, the ships from War of the Worlds and Star Destroyers and, um, the Enterprise and uh, any any sci-fi property you can think of, Klingons, you know, they all showed up and you know fought each other in these little like I, they were these intro videos that were shown at these conventions. They're pretty fun. They're on YouTube. But I digress. Uh, so ta- talking about Robert Heinlein, and uh, this is where I'm I'm, I'm going to pivot to Trev the most here. Um, because he's the only one of us that's actually read the book. Now, I've done, Mm -hmm. just being a fan of the movie, I've done a lot of reading about the book and a lot of, like, comparisons and and things like that, but I never actually sat down and read it. Um, uh, So I'll talk about kind of a little bit about where the book came from, and then I'll kind of, you know, uh, uh, defer to Trev. But Robert Heinlein uh, and his wife... um, in in 1958, uh, um, 
created a, a newspaper ad trying to drum up support for the United States nuclear weapon testing program. And President Eisenhower um, basically decided to, you know, have a, a cessation on that, um, which I think was, and I'm no history expert by any means, so if I'm getting this wrong, you know, someone can feel free to correct me, which I think was part of an agreement with the Soviets that if they stopped, we would stop. But basically, yeah, Eisenhower was like, yeah, it might be a good idea to not test nuclear weapons anymore. Um, and uh, so he suspended nuclear testing, which I think, I in, I don't know, in my opinion, I, I don't think it's an unpopular opinion to think like, yeah, that's good. But Heinlein, <laughs> <laughs> but Heinlein was in fury, furious about this. Um, and he was in the middle of writing probably his most famous book, which was Stranger in a Strange Land. And he, he stopped doing that completely and just to like basically his venting process for, for this was writing Starship Troopers. Um, now, uh, this is where I'll pivot to Trev and ask, ask if there's anything I'm missing or getting wrong or if there's anything he has to add. And then we'll we'll kind of talk about the book more, but I, that that's fairly accurate, right? Yeah, yeah. This book was definitely uh, it was a, the idea was born to him from his reaction to the suspending of nuclear tests, but the U.S. and him wanting to kind of uh, have a commentary on it. I, I think you it, it should be said. So Heinlein was a uh, served in the Navy, had a pretty distinguished career in the Navy, and so a lot of the the militarism and how. Um, you know, accurate the book is to military life certainly comes from his own experiences. Highline's an interesting figure in a moment. This will probably kind of give away how I feel about the book. But uh, to all my fellow sci-fi nerds, um, just keep in mind, I'm not going I'm not degrading Highline's place in sci-fi history by any means. Uh, Highline is a great writer. I am a big fan of a few of his books. Uh, Stranger in a Strange Land and The Moon is a Harsh, Harsh Mistress are must reads. I think for people who want to read like kind of the classics of sci-fi. And it's interesting if you look at um, what other people who knew him at his time, some of his contemporaries like Isaac Asimov have said, is that uh, they would often talk about how Heinlein, at least early in life, was kind of like there was a flaming liberal, like very, very liberal. And I I think it's safe to say when you read Starship Troopers that maybe some things started to kind of change in his outlook on life. And he was definitely using the book Starship Troopers to primarily be a commentary on what he thought – you know, society should be. I mean, we, we, geez, we've got this far in. We haven't even said what the basic idea of Starship Troopers is. But I guess now it's just like we just point. assume everyone knows. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah. So, the, <laughs> I mean, just the basic idea of Starship Troopers is born in this book, and then which runs throughout all the things we're going to be talking about is, you know, it's a, it's Earth, it's Earth in the future, a future society that has become very driven by the military, and essentially it's just following this idea of um, this series of characters who get involved in a, a war that this uh, future society is involved in with a, a race of aliens known as the arachnids or bugs. Um, and yeah, I mean, I guess that's the, the background you need. I can certainly say more about the book itself. Uh, so I, I read it back in high school, which is a long time ago. And at that time I didn't like it. And I think I didn't like it because I, I read it after seeing the movie and I certainly went into it thinking I was going to read something like the movie. And if there's one thing the book is not, it's the Starship Troopers movie. Um, I'll, I'll certainly, I'll, as this goes on, I'll talk about like the similarities and what things are the same, but it's a very different kind of book. I came back to it, and as you know, I just read it again uh, a couple months ago, 
thinking like, oh, maybe now with some distance and knowing what it is, I will like it. Uh, no, I still don't like this book. I don't think it's, I honestly don't think it's a very good book. And it's not, it's not that I disagree with the politics of it. Um, as a fan of 80s action movies, I certainly have no problem getting all behind, you know, things that are exposing right-wing politics if it's entertaining and fun. My issue with the Starship Troopers novel is it's a very dry, very boring read. So I think if you go to it thinking you're going to get um, Casper Van Dien blasting bugs, you know, in, in book form, <laughs> you're not. What you're going to get is very little action, but a lot of scenes of characters discussing ideas that Heinlein had and wanted to kind of talk about critiquing U.S. society in the 1950s. So him talking about how his idea that society is in a moral decline because of the the things we've been uh, letting kids and people get away with and all these discussions about juvenile delinquency and suffrage and civic virtue. And there's these constant flashbacks to the civics classes these characters were in back in their high school um, discussing why corporal punishment is good and why capital punishment is good. Um, the book's treatment of female characters is pretty abhorrent i think which is interesting because he has very strong female characters in other books starship troopers they're they're barely characters and it's actually even said in the book that kind of the main role of women and the reason they let women into the military is so that the men in the military kind of can see them and have something that they think is worth fighting for and it's kind of like that's the that's the role women are meant to serve but in general it's just it's it's a very it's Dan Brown would love it, man. It's it's very just people talking. It's uh, if I, if you want to draw us to back to Kaiju Land and people need a reminder of who I am and <laughs> I my know role this on this going. show, <laughs> uh, this, this Starship Troopers as a war book is probably very entertaining to people who think of Shin Godzilla as a guy as a good Godzilla movie. If you like a Godzilla movie where it's mostly board meetings, then you'll probably like an alien war book where it's mostly discussions about civics and uh and the perils of a liberal society so not 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 the book for me um i i will never revisit it again i think i got my two readings of my life in uh as i said though i don't take away like bird you're absolutely right that it still introduces a lot of ideas that were clearly very influential and it's not that it's a poorly written book it's just a poorly um structured book i mean really the only big action scene is like the last I think like 10 or 15 pages and you really, if you're, if you're selling me a book called starship troopers, I want some war in it, man. But, mm -hmm. Yeah. So that's my, that's my thoughts. And, and I think, um, I mean, I, I, a lot of people have seen the movie, but a lot of the things that the movie kind of sort of pokes fun at is like, like the idea that in, in order to even be able to vote, you mm -hmm. have to serve in the military. Like those yep. are kind of the the things that he was presenting is like good ideas <laughs> yeah. basically well that, and that's the big debate of the book right so i mean there are certainly people who will defend it but then there are other people who look at it including you know we'll talk about paul verhoven's views of it but the ultimate debate that will always hover over this book is is this a fascist book or not right is it arguing for fascism or is it just or are people overreacting and saying like no it's clearly you know it's a very militaristic book but it's not quite fascist um I tend to fall a little bit into it's if it's not fascist, it's definitely dipping its toes in, in fascist waters and saying, hmm, this feels nice. You know, I might put more. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you have, you know, a, a basically a world order and, you know, these 
you know, you have to do certain things for your country to earn the right to do something even like vote. So that, I don't know, that that could be a problem. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and like the characters aren't very interesting. I mean, the main character is uh, Johnny Rico, although here he's Juan Rico because, uh, you know, the you know, these are all characters from Buenos Aires. Um, Dizzy, uh, who is a, you know, um, Dina Meyer's character in the first movie is a, a man in the book and is kind of like quickly dispatched with, and it's not really a character. Um, so, I mean, you, like when you read it, you, you get it, you can see like the stuff that led to the movie. But in a, when we talk about the background of the movie, I want to make a point too, about how there's really a, there's a big difference between what this book is and then what the rest of everything we're going to talk about mm-hmm. is. Um, so, I mean, if you were to like rate the book on a scale of you know one to five uh, I, I think I'm, i think on goodreads i gave it a two um yeah. you know it's not atrocious enough to be a one um but i could only give it a two because even though it has you know like i said there's some moments that are well written and i'm i'm basically giving it a two like for those influences mm-hmm. like i said i know it, it won the hugo for best novel in 1960 it was clearly this big hit it's very it's still today sells really well yeah, I mean, it has its place in sci-fi history, but it's just it's a very dry read, and yeah. I think well, the not, problematic not all classics are, are jarring. Not all classics are good, even. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's 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 a you know you're saying it it's a classic, but it's still boring and problematic, mm-hmm. and that that's fair. Um, and I will say too, really quickly, and if I this if I'm going to be nice about it. I would imagine, too, and I think, Bird, we have friends who could probably attest to this, that um, people who have been involved in the military might find a little bit more to enjoy with it because, oh, it could, yeah. you know, um, yeah. because there are long sequences, too, of like training and uh, and some of the combat sequences that are written entirely in military jargon. And that's actually a kind of an interesting stylistic decision. Mm-hmm. But it also means that for those of us who did not serve or right. don't, you know, <laughs> it's really kind of hard to read and you're not it's not as easy to follow along with. Yeah. Um, but I think even if I was in the military, I'd probably still find this boring. Right. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, to kind of, and I mean, this won't take, I, honestly, we're probably going to mainly talk about the original movie and just kind of plow through the rest. But uh, to take something that you said and kind of apply it to something else. Um, uh, so <laughs> Matt and I did watch the six episode, what is it, 1988 uh Oh yeah, <laughs> Japanese <laughs> anime miniseries, which was mm-hmm. um, uh, one of the worst things I've ever seen. Yeah, I mean, I tried. I watched the first episode and I was done. <laughs> I was... Um, this and and okay, this this was by Tetsuro Amino, who I guess in anime world, I'm I'm not fluent in anime speak, but he did. Um, well, actually, he did something we reviewed on the show, which was the Zerum anime uh, area, and he also did a lot of uh, Macross stuff. Uh, I see Lupin the Third. Um, so yeah, I mean, anime nuts. His name is probably not going to be uh, unfamiliar, but and I mean. Uh, th- I'd, I'd like to kind of just dissect, you know, what Matt just said, but I, I, I mean, there, there's really not much to something that, surprisingly, for something that's six episodes, there's really not much to it. <laughs> I mean, the, the, and the, the way I would describe it is, it's, 
uh, I mean, we 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 have a lot of the characters we're familiar with. We see in you know a pre Casper Van Dien uh, interpretation of Johnny Rico, who oddly enough in this is also a white dude. Uh, <laughs> um, you know, we have Zim, who uh, in this he's black. Is he black in the book? Uh, I don't know that races are even discussed okay. in the That's book. That's just an interesting little. choice. I think, I think you just assume everyone is kind of, you know, like Latin. Yeah, you know? yeah. Uh, well, that is an interesting choice then, because, I mean, especially in Japanese stuff, you don't mm-hmm. get a lot of African-American characters. Um, you know, uh, Carmen, you know, the, the familiar names, and, uh, you know, each episode is named after a character. There's Johnny, Hendrick, Maria who is Rico's mom, Greg Chernikoff, and then Carmen Sita, which is Carmen. And that's kind of strange because none of those episodes are really super focused on any one of them. And, uh, but I, and again, I, I don't know how much there is to even talk about this because the way I would describe it is literally, well, Johnny Rico in this has the kind of anime, it's a combination of what Trev said about, characters in the book with you know the kind of whiny anime protagonist you know and he is definitely motivated by you know carmen to enlist so that's i mean i think that runs through all all three versions but um but yeah i mean honestly the first four episodes i think are honestly maybe even the first five and a half are all training it's all just yeah. uh, them training and talking about how cool it is to be serving. And, and uh, the, I guess the one cool thing in this is you do get, you know, the mech suits and, you know, uh, you know the 80s anime look to it is, is, is appealing. But it, it, it really is just all talking and people training and talking about how awesome it is to be doing what they're doing. And... You know, I'm sure the story. I'm sure the there's a lot left out of the book, but I I definitely feel like this. And I've I've heard people say that this is still more more faithful to the book. And and I can totally see like the things Trev was saying about the book here, where it's just a lot of nothing happening and people just talking about <clears throat> ideas and. That's it. And I mean, there's a couple kind of fun differences from what we're used to, because uh, unlike the book and the 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 the, the film series, like uh, instead of bugs, there are these like amoeba jellyfish like blobby things. And, you know, that's kind of cool, but they don't really get any screen time like they're not described very well in the in the book either, though. And in the book, too, if I remember correctly, there's also an insinuation that there's like kind of a secondary like race of these aliens that are kind of more humanoid huh. that I don't think has ever really been brought anywhere. But, Interesting. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, just like what you said about the book, the actual like action part is mm-hmm. it's basically just that sixth episode. There's like uh, the attack on buenos aires thing but that last well yeah like, yeah i'm like assuming that's in the book minutes, too maybe. the the destruction of buenos aires that's always the inciting incident i do have a question so i only watched the first episode and like i said um i was like no nah, i'm good um even in that first episode it was weird because i i can see how it is a more accurate adaptation of the book than the um than the movie but i wouldn't say it's a like 100 percent faithful mm-hmm. i think even in the first episode i could see that 
they clearly knew that see here's the thing you can't do just a straight adaptation of the book and have it be entertaining in any media form and i think even with the anime it's clear they're like well we got to kind of beef some of this up a little bit and i could see them adding a little bit more character beats and stuff um so i mean geez if you think that's like (laughs) imagine how dry the book is if i'm telling you that's the beefed up version right but um (laughs) i wonder because the one thing that i I always remember about the book that is not in the movie and i thought like if anything would have been kind of funny to have in the movie um I just want to ask you guys if it's in the anime in the book, Rico's dad actually ends up joining the starship troopers. That is, is not that... in there, but it, okay. but um, it is in there where uh, his dad doesn't die. His dad does survive. It's yeah. only his so mom. It's a, that it's, a, it's a major plot point in the book that his dad, his dad actually after Buenos Aires, his dad survives and uh, his mom is murdered. His mom is killed in the attack, but his dad survives and, and joins and ends up being like on the same ship as him. And if it's actually at the end of the book, it's like, he's uh, got a higher position than his dad. So he can like kind of order his dad around. Um, I don't know. It's not like it's, it's not like it really goes anywhere, but I always thought like that was an interesting idea that I'm surprised Verhoeven wouldn't have taken. Cause it's yeah. just so odd, you know, but um, Hey Trev, I have a question for you in sure. the book. Is there a subplot about Rico trying to get Carmen's nude pictures? Because that's in the anime. <laughs> Boy, uh, not that I remember. No, <laughs> they make like a whole. It feels like a whole episode dedicated to like that. It's Carmen is a character. Carmen is a character in the book. Really does vanish after like the first early chapters. I think she comes back like for. There's like one scene later where she comes back and Johnny kind of actually meets up with her in the. Uh, you know, as, when they're both serving. Um, but you know, she's not. Carmen is not a big deal. She really is just like I said. The the role of women in the book is to kind of motivate the guys and Carmen yeah. is definitely not, uh, on, she's not a top priority for Heinlein. It's not different in, in the anime either. Like, no, like in, in the only time anyone really talks, like there's a bunch of scenes of like the, the troopers like comparing photos of their girlfriends and, you know, talking about, about you know how big their boobs are or, yeah <laughs> like there's stuff <laughs> like real, that you know but <laughs> but yeah they they really don't serve any real purpose and um so d- the book i take it has the scene where zim breaks the guy's arm and and the conversation about night night having a knife and all that I I think so. Like I, I I I apologize. I mean, I wish I remembered the book a little bit more. Um, but I think it's also kind of telling that I read it like two months ago and already it's kind of, <laughs> you know, evaporated. That's also because I read it and then I watched all these movies, and so it all kind of starts to jumble together in your head. Because um, I know I I know there are certain things from the book that are directly ported over. So like I mean like the yeah. end of the movie with Zim and the dialogue about Zim and the and the the brain bug like that comes right from the book, but. Uh, and so, yeah, but I can't remember everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I'd love to, if there was, if there was much more, if there was more of a conversation to be had about this thing, I would be having. Well, it, I, but... I'm sure cause Matt and I just briefly talked about this, but I'm sure Matt would agree that if anything else, even though we're kind of dissing it a little bit, people should go watch that first episode just as a, just to see an abject lesson on how not to choose music for your uh, <laughs> shows. Because, good lord, the music choices for that anime are some of the most bizarre. Like, why did I don't. Every episode has like an 80s. Yeah. uh, Like, like power ballads, right? (laughs) Yeah. It's like a Japanese cover band doing 80s cover songs. Like, it's it's insane. It's the most tonally inappropriate music you could ever choose for Starship. (laughs) It's just so strange. Um, 
I mean, if I have to, I would, be... I would tell a bird to end this episode with one of the songs, except there's like a much clearer, better choice for the song. <laughs> this episode. But... Have, have, wait, have we talked about the song choice? Well, I mean, I, th- I think there's a song in one of the sequels. That okay. Yeah. Means... Okay. I'm well, it could be a couple things. Okay. That's going to be fun. Cause I, there's one that I, I, I swear I meant there's to message you. Bird. There's only one clear choice. I don't know. <laughs> there was one where I was like. I don't know if you guys remember this, but like you need to cue this up. And I mean, I think I know what you're, uh, the, the for the last film. Yes. Yeah, okay. we'll talk. We'll talk about it when we get there. It's actually in my notes. Um. So yeah, I mean the anime. I mean, uh, it's, uh, it got a little bit of notoriety because I, I don't think it was. <clears throat> I, I I don't think it ever made it to dvd or anything it was not it's never been released here you know it's kind of in obscurity but uh you know i wish i could t- say it sounds as it's as cool as it sounds i mean if i have to be nice i mean i guess i like the the overall design choices and, and things but you know there's really nothing to it i mean it, it, i guess i guess people that like the book would probably like it but not my not my jam sorry um yeah. So Matt, how many like uh I don't even know, how many people training for <laughs> how many it's of Carmen's half, nude photos? <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. It's a half of a nude photo. It's terrible. I I uh I had to like split up some of the episodes that are 20 minutes by the way they're like 20 22 minutes i had to split those up in multiple viewings i was so bored at times that first episode i was watching it i could swear it was 40 minutes long and i was like looked at my player at some point i'm like (laughs) what how am i only like 18 minutes into this i I watched two in one night and i swear to god it was four hours long (laughs) like it was I was struggling. I, it was. Uh, if you want a cure for insomnia, just um, this will this will help out. I can't quite go with a half. Just and I mean, I don't know. I, it, it's not even that the that Matt's half is so much in not valid to me. It's more just like, and I don't know. I, I think Trev will at least understand this. When you've seen so many just awful <laughs> movies, you know something that's just bad and not like the worst thing ever, like. You're like, eh, you know, I can deal. Yeah. I can, I can go a one and a half for this. Like, I mean, man, I mean, it, Trev and I have watched so many just like shot on video. If I feel like a genuine like <laughs> effort from someone involved in it, then I'm usually like, ah, it's at least a one or a one and a half. Yeah, you know? I, I, I can't quite get that low, but you know, I, 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 I can understand someone who would. Um, but you know what? Let's forget that. Let's talk. Let's talk about something interesting. For the love of God, um, let's talk about Starship Troopers, nineteen ninety sevens, big blockbuster, um, directed by the great <laughs> Paul Verhoeven, um, and uh, I guess to kind of, I'll give a little bit of background, and then we can kind of, you know, go from there. Um, so uh it was written by a guy Ed is it Newmeyer is that how you Ed say Newmeyer, it Ed Newmeyer yeah Ed Newmeyer um who had uh he actually I think he I believe he read it in military school but he was actually a a, a fan of the book um but he was like he was you know basically he had I think he probably had the same critiques as Trev even though he liked the book and you know like Trev said you can like something and still kind of be like, hey, I don't know that this is 
the best messaging. Well, wait, can I can I just jump in here really quick? Yeah. Though, just to clarify something. So I just want to make this one point because this is like the, the key point to this. So first of all, Ed Newmeyer is super interesting. Um, for people who don't know Ed, the name Ed Newmeyer, it's, it's not surprising because in a moment I'll read you his entire filmography. But Ed Newmeyer, um, you know, who's really good friends with Verhoeven, he wrote RoboCop. And so that's where this relationship starts. And you get like, okay, so Ed Newmeyer, you kind of get a sense of his writing. Oh, RoboCop and Starship Troopers. He's this guy who can write this like kind of satirical sci-fi. Let me read you his entire um, screenwriting filmography. 1987, RoboCop. 1997, Starship Troopers. 2004, Starship Troopers 2. And Anacondas 2 in 2004. 2008, Starship Troopers 3. 2012, Starship Troopers 4. 2014, he's credited for the characters in the RoboCop remake, and 2017, Starship Troopers Five. He's—that's all he's done. It's <laughs> a kind of incredible career to me. But what I just wanted to quickly say, Bert, I don't know if you were going to say this. I'm sorry if you were, and I cut you off. But the actual interesting backstory of this movie is that he wrote a completely unrelated script yeah. called Bug Bug Hunt at Outpost Nine, and that's what he took to like Verhoeven in the studio, and the studio kind of came back and said, well. We also have the rights to Starship Troopers, and this is pretty similar to that. Like, there's clearly some elements, and that's when Ed Newmeyer kind of, I think, realized, well, yeah, I loved that book when I was a kid, so that probably crept its way in a little bit. And then they just said, well, we, why don't we just merge it? Because, you know, they were smart enough to recognize the, the the appeal of the name, you know, for cashing in. And that's when he started, like, he took the character names and kind of, you know, some elements of the book and merged it with what he already had. But that's an important distinction to me, because that's what I that's what I wanted to say, is that... In my mind, there's Highline Starship Troopers, which is just the book. But really, to me, I think of the movie franchise as Ed Newmeyer's Starship Troopers much yeah. more. Um, so and I think, I mean, I, I don't know if you guys think that's fair, but yeah, I mean, if it was like I, a I completely mean, I, different thing that was kind of like retrofitted to fit, you know, some elements from the book into it. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's a, quite a distinction. <clears throat> yeah. And, um, you know, I, th- I, I believe he said that, you know, he became familiar for, with the book from a military background and in he said, you know, it's not so much that Starship Troopers is anti-military, it's more that it's, you know, showing you how, basically how useless fascism is. Um, he, he said that, you know, people still come up to him, and people in the military tell him, like, how much they love the movie Starship Troopers. You know, so, you know, it's, I think we should set that, uh, get that cleared yeah. right out of the, out of the gate that it's not anti-military, anti-troops, no. anti-army, anti-navy, or anything like that. Definitely not anti-troops. It definitely, the troops are never the bad guys in the movie. They're always at the whim of the people in control right. and power. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, you know, Paul Verhoeven has, has said multiple times, you know, the, the point of the movie was... You know, it's not speaking out on military, but it's saying that war makes fascists of everybody. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, when uh, Neumeier gave Verhoeven the book to read, he he got, <laughs> I don't even know that he got halfway through it. and he Yeah, I think he said like, what, like 50 pages? Yeah, and, and he said, you know, I, I, this is you know fascist garbage <laughs> yeah this, this is it's boring and it's fascist and uh, it's garbage and he he told Newmeyer, he was like just tell me the rest of the story <laughs> you know he's i'm not reading the rest of this and and so the interesting thing about this is that it's it's taking all those ideals and it's it's turning them on its head and on, on, on it's turning the book on its head it's it's uh, uh it's showing 
you why maybe the ideas in the book aren't the best and it, it's showing you um it, you know it's poking fun at it in a way that it's basically making fun of fascist idealism it's yeah. it's I, it's they're going to take all the, these tropes of um you know fascist uh propaganda and things and basically highlight the how absurd it is um it's and, something we don't see very often um but yeah it's definitely like it's an adaptation that's a satire of the source material more yeah, than it's, a, a it's, straight adaptation yeah it, and it's it's taking the whole point of the book and flipping it upside down and and so you know i i and so on that note i do understand why it, it seems like there's starship troopers book fans and starship troopers movie fans and it seems yeah. like they almost never m- mingle together <laughs> like it, it, and and i i get why um and to give kind of a kaiju uh, uh parallel there's there's the old Shiro honda movie atragon um and you know that that was based on these old 18 late 1800s um japanese no, uh uh novels and uh for for young boys about you know you know the the greatness of the imperial japanese navy and and then you know the movie version came along and it was a, it was a whole scathing you know, thing about how toxic nationalism is, and it, it's a really subversive approach to adapting something that we don't really get a lot. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, and Verhoeven really did his. I mean, you have to understand he, you know, he he's he's from. Uh, is he is he Dutch? He's Dutch, but his family lived in The Hague uh, in 1943, which is the the German headquarters in the Netherlands during uh, World War II. Yeah, and so his house his house was near a base that was being constantly bombed by the Allied forces, and he basically grew up seeing constantly like, you know, burning buildings and people, you know, blown up on the street. And so he he's he's very you know he grew up uh, with this surrounded by him, and uh, you only have to you can easily find plenty of interviews with Verhoeven talking about his distaste with war in general and. Yeah, so I mean, this is a guy that grew up in the thick of, you know, the Nazism, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he's gonna have something to say about it. Um, and uh, you know, he really did his homework. You know, you think about the um, the 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 propaganda, little propaganda films throughout the movie, and uh, you know, he the first the first one that opens the film is is um, literally a shot for shot recreation of uh of scenes from triumph of the will um you know the the nazi propaganda film and you know when it came to the casting he deliberately cast you know these characters that were just like perfect looking empty and empty headed and yeah, ready, re- his, ready to do what they're told, and his his original idea, which would have worked also, but the studio actually turned it down. Was he really wanted to do what the book did? And he said he wanted to cast the characters to be the age they were in the book, which is like fourteen or fifteen, and like he thought that would make a statement too, right? The idea of the ridiculousness of sending these very young kids into war, and the studio said no, and so Verhoeven's like, well, then I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to pick like. He he's he like you said he's come he's come right out since and said he didn't care about acting talent he wanted to find people that like 
looked like the people on like you know wb shows and like and that would be put into propaganda films is just these ultimate like symbols of masculinity and femininity um and so sometimes people watch the movie and be like wow the acting's so stiff and like you can this is one of the few cases where you can legit say that's kind of the point right that's like mm-hmm. what he was going for and yeah newmeyer said you know he wanted to tell a story about kids that uh go to war and turn into nazis <laughs> you yep. know and that's and you see that throughout the movie um and so uh uh and just to kind of give one more detail um i have a, a quote from an interview with michael ironside <clears throat> uh who who is a supporting actor in the movie and he he um he asked verhoven why are you doing a right-wing fascist movie? And Verhoeven said, if I tell the world that a right-wing fascist way of doing things doesn't work, no one will listen to me. So I'm going to make a perfect fascist world where everyone is beautiful, everyone is shiny, every, every, and everything has big guns and fancy ships, but all it's good for, good for is killing bugs. You know, so it's basically saying, like, yeah, this kind of system can work but it's pointless yeah um so yeah we we follow johnny rico and his friends um you know uh carmen his girlfriend and uh uh there's dizzy yeah who has a crush on him yep carl who is uh neil patrick harris um and we follow them from basically graduating to enlisting um to them going to war and uh you know essentially it's a war between earth which like the world federation you know it's a world order a world military now um and uh at war with a planet called clindathu i believe i I think i'm saying that right and that's uh basically filled with it's just bugs um and one thing that the movie does pretty cleverly, I think, is, you know, it doesn't really spell out why there's even a conflict. We get a little bit of it. I, I, the scene that sticks out to me is there's a, a scene where a reporter says, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing and I'm probably getting, I might be getting something wrong. But he, he basically says, you know, uh, there, there's some controversy uh, about, um, you know, when we... I think I think we were trying to colonize planets or something. There, right? The Mor- the Mormons did. The yeah. Mormons uh, went. They established a like the John Smith uh, colony on uh, they were on Clendathu. Um, yeah, and, and, and yeah, like you're saying, it's very it's very subtle. It's definitely a thing that I think was missed upon the film's initial release. But yeah. if you're paying attention to the FedNets, like we started this, you know. Yeah, yeah, and and he and so and he says something like, you know, there's controversy over you know, whether we shouldn't have come there at all. And, you know, essentially it's saying like, yeah, these are mindless bugs, but, and I mean, this goes into, this ties into tons of kaiju movies too. Basically we're, we're the hubris of, of humanity is going somewhere where it shouldn't be. And now there's bugs that are pissed at us. And now the fight just, it doesn't stop. You know, it's, it's like certain countries. I mean, have been at war for decades longer, you know? 
and so that's that's really kind of what's at the heart of this um well and just the 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 dehumanization of an enemy too to like you said like for us to just be like well they're just bugs so who cares and as the movie goes on you know they you know, you see during the film that whenever they're kind of faced with the reality that wow these bugs can think and they can plan like that's they won't even consider that right? yeah yeah which means they have they can't even they there's no way they could except the idea that the bugs might have a society that we infringed upon, you know, it's just, it's just like, it's just like being an exterminator, but you know, obviously that's not the case. Yeah. That part where they, uh, they're stomping on the bugs at home and doing oh, their part like that. Always so good. Out. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, I still don't know that this movie gets credit for being as, I guess clever is is it is it is. Um, it, it definitely does more now. So this, I mean, this movie was yeah, very. It, it's, yeah, I it wasn't. It wasn't. It did, it, a, it, it did okay, right? I, I mean, it had a budget of 105 and it made 121. That's not okay. really you know, right. Um, yeah. It's it's certainly a film that found its audience on video. This was you know back in the days when you could, um, you know, you could start getting more of a following on video, and then it was shown on cable a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely think, like critically, it took a while to find to find its uh, its groove, and right. you've definitely seen more and more people now to the point where I think more people are just ready, sometimes ready to argue that it's like you know like a classic, and it's almost like perfect in what it's trying to do. And but at the time, that was definitely not people like what's just mm-hmm. this dumb bug space movie, you know? Yeah, um, and and really, you you're really another and another thing that he said is like. You know the movie. It, it you really get you see these kids really just kind of lose their innocence. You know you see Johnny Rico from going to the, from the this you know bright eyed love struck kid to you know going to it, you know it follows a lot of the tropes of you know a typical war movie. You know you, you see him you know uh, get mangled and you see him like climb the ranks and you know by the end he's got his own you know little squad and you know you see uh neil patrick harris who's like the typical charming movie nerd guy and then you know you he he's absent from the movie for like an hour and a half and then the next time you see him he's wearing a gestapo outfit (laughs) um and uh so yeah i mean story-wise that's it you know and and it's you know, trying to find uh, the brain bug, you know, that is, I, I I don't know what you would compare it to, but basically a, a smart bug that can command, you know, basically all the other bugs. And mm-hmm. and uh, it touches on um, Neil Patrick Harris, Harris is a, a psychic, so those are real in this universe, and you see how they're kind of, like, encouraged to be tested constantly at a young age and and brought up into the system the the psychic angle at all yeah but it's like it's in the book but it's um i mean which is kind of the point kind of true in the movie too it's it's kind of um it's certainly not a main point or anything right it's just kind of mentioned that there are psychic people now but But, uh yeah i i did not see this in theaters i saw it on video um it was seventh grade, of course. Everybody was talking about the shower scene back then, you know. <laughs> Still like pre-internet, you know. So that was a big deal for us. Um, now the shower scene is a big deal for for other reasons. I guess we we'll we'll, we'll talk about. But uh, it's a movie that I always liked. Um, 
but yeah, when I was that young, I was, oh, it's a cool monster movie. And now I'm like, oh, you know, there's actually a lot going on under the surface here. Um, but yeah, I mean, what do you guys remember when you first saw it or, you know, what your, I guess, what, what's your history with, with this movie? <laughs> I remember seeing it in Blockbuster a lot and uh, RIP Blockbuster and eventually got to, I think I saw it probably on TV first and that had all the, uh, the shower scenes cut out. And then I probably saw it a couple years later after that. So I was probably a bit older than you bird. I first impressions were always the same. We're kind of the same thing. We're like, I just, I loved all the monster stuff. And, but now you look at it and it's like, oof, that's uh it's more relevant today than I would like it to be. So <laughs> Ain't that the truth? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I came to it on video as well, and and pretty same same basic idea. I mean, what like you know? So I probably saw this in '98, so I was either 17 or 18, and I thought it was like a, I thought it was a really fun action movie, and like anyone else, it probably took me like a little longer to start looking under the hood a little bit. Um, I though I do want to quickly say because we're talking a lot about the themes and everything, and that's you know obviously the most interesting discussion. But because this is Kaiju Transmissions, we probably should say too, like just on first of all, this also does just work on an action movie level. It is just a good action movie. Mm-hmm. But it's also worth saying that this is like one of the so maybe one of the most like one of the coolest things about watching it now is this is like one of the last films made right on that precipice from when things went to like fully CG mm-hmm. everything. Right. Yeah, and there's like a lot the... of cool practical stuff in this. Like all the ships are awesome miniatures. Um, yeah. The, like, the, you know, the a lot blend of the bugs are actually practical. The blend yeah. of CG and practical stuff is wonderful. And, and I mean, it's yeah. Phil Tippett. I mean, he did Jurassic park, which you could say the same thing for, but, um, but yeah, this was really kind of 98, 99, 97, 98, 99. That's really when we kind of got the last, yeah. gasp of it and and i would I, heavily i would heavily recommend anybody who has the the either i've got the two disc dvd but i believe bird has the blu-ray same special features but dive into those special features everyone because there's some great documentaries on how expansive the special effects work was on this movie. yeah and and it really is like there was just we had um you know this i mean there were a few movies where that was the case there was this you know um Deep Rising, and I mean, you know, I I will give it credit where it's due. You know, the '98 Godzilla had tons of practical stuff, um, and it was really like the last wave of monster movies to do that. And um, yeah, so there's 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 some nostalgia there too. It's like it it's like the the end of an era, kind of. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, also speaking of monsters, there's a shit ton of monsters in this movie, which obviously for us makes it super cool um you know you have the the soldier bugs um the the flying the flying uh bugs you have the 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 lava bugs uh the brain bug um am i missing any i probably am i mean there there's those, a... those are the those are the main ones yeah the, the 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 one that shoots the lava is called the tanker i know that uh, yeah there's an awful lot of them um and uh like and they're all super cool um do you guys have a favorite bug they're all pretty awesome i do like the tanker just because he freaking melts people which is (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah Yeah, i think the tanker and i mean the scene and it's like a key like one of the key action scenes the scene where like johnny takes down the tanker is one of the more like exciting you know um action sequences where he jumps on it and shoots through the shell to throw the grenade and everything. 
Um, the brain bug is pretty great just because it's legit. Like, I don't know how you guys feel about it, but it's not very often that I'm legit disgusted by a monster like in a movie. <laughs> and the brain bug is really, really gross. It's still unnerving, um, man. It's nasty. Yeah. You know, its yeah. mouth is this like oozy, drippy, like vagina looking thing. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, I know basically all bugs are like this, but it just has those solid, all those solid black eyes and i love the detail too how it's just too like it can't move itself so all the little bugs have to like be its legs and yeah carry yeah it. it's gotten so so like fat off of <laughs> that it, it can't move by itself and uh and even even like there's just the visual is just freaky of you know when it, the big uh like needle comes out of its mouth and it pierces the guy's head and you see the brains like being sucked in up like a straw. <laughs> that's still like it's nasty. That that still is just makes me like shudder. <laughs> and then because you know, and like we should say like too, you know, let's just say it. I mean, Verhoeven is also the kind of director who always knows what he's doing and is trying to play on you in different levels. And you know, he, they've clearly designed the brain bug to have like this like vagina appearance, right? And then oh, yeah. like the the phallic like you know proboscis comes out of the vagina so it's like oh my god what's happening it's like multi-gendered here and now it's like oh my god everything like i'm like just making you afraid of genitals right which seems like very much something we're hoping (laughs) would do (laughs) because it's like you can't you just can't win here um yeah so like all the creatures are like are very unique i mean i got there's so much to say about this is like i could legit just talk about this movie for like six hours i know Um, i mean because it's like a very we haven't even talked about it's very funny like the humor is just like dead on in this which is not surprising for verhoeven like if like all those like great like commercials and news broadcasts and robocop like he brings that to this oh yeah cranks it up to like 11 you know um and actually for a movie that is often criticized for the acting i just want to take a moment to say like i actually think like I said, I mean, the, these actors were well cast for this movie, and I think like everyone actually does pretty well. I actually really, I, I know Casper Van Dien's not the best actor in the world, but I think like this is a role he is kind of born to play, mm-hmm. and I actually really like him as the lead performance. Yeah, I, 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 think, I pretty, like, I really like everybody, and and I this yeah. kind of goes into something that you said earlier, like um, I think one of the things the movie does the best is like even though you you basically see these these young people lose their humanity and get sucked into this kind of fascist system of, and, and are now in this literally, like literally never ending war. And it never, and this is where a lot of movies would have not done this. It never demonizes them. It never makes them unlikable. Um, Mm -hmm. They're likable all the way up until the last scene. And, if anything, you're just like kind of seeing how people get mani- good people can get manipulated into buying into into this you know kind of propaganda. But the movie never makes you turn on them ever. Everybody no, is... like they they've been they've, they've been sucked up into something they don't understand. Also, but it is interesting because like the end of the movie is make so. I mean, I mean, if we're getting into spoilers, but whatever. Obviously, that was going to happen, but. You know, this this is not a movie that can end with the war ending. So it's just a, a, a victory in battle and it's them capturing the brain bug. And if you think about like how kind of actually disturbing that moment is where, you know, Carl shows back up and because he's psychic, they have him kind of do a psychic, um, you know, check of the brain bug. And he just says, like, it's afraid and everyone starts cheering. And it's just like, wow, the end of our movie is like us cheering, capturing an enemy and it being terrified for its life. 
<laughs> and that's the odd thing is like, you know, it works as just like, yeah, it's a heroic ending. But then you realize, wow, Verhoeven has made you cheer these like these very horrible things. Right. Mm-hmm. And like I said, our, the characters we love have now become these fascist soldiers, but we're happy for them that they survived and we, we celebrate with them. And and yeah, that's the trick of the movie. And, and so it's it's very successful. And like I said, I think a lot of people just missed it that first yeah. time. But and yeah. it, it just it would have it, it, any other writer, director, duo would have fallen into that temptation of really getting on a soapbox and you know having them do something horrible that you know is telling you like hey they're bad people now but he never does that you know you're you're you you still are bought into them even even carl who's literally wearing nazi attire you know you still are with them at the end and i mean Mm -hmm. that and and that's why i think it probably works is just you just want to turn your brain off and watch a popcorn movie i mean it works on that level but if you want something that actually does have a little bit of intellect it also it works both ways um but yeah like i'm i genuinely every time i genuinely get like sad when when dizzy gets killed Mm -hmm. like you know (laughs) these kids don't deserve this yeah yeah, great supporting performances. I mean, you, you already mentioned Michael Ironside, who I mean, anytime. He, yeah, but he's really he's 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 great in this. Yeah, um, Clancy Brown, who like I think most people will know from um, Highlander and uh, Shawshank Redemption, is great as Zim. Um, geez, you even get Rue McClanahan in this as the blind biology teacher uh, during the the gross dissection scene. Uh, Jake Busey, who I. I I actually quite like Jake Busey, and this is this movie is one of the main reasons why. Get a young Amy Smart, you get a brief appearance from Dean Norris. Come on, it's, <laughs> this is fun, man. Um, I always thought like Michael Ironside in this is he's like that uh, he's like that stereotypical teacher who's like really strict, but like deep down, you know, he's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, there's a great moment where he like gives them the extra time to him, like uh, Rico and Dizzy, to have sex before like the mission. You know. Yeah, yeah. He's like, you know, be out in five minutes, and then he he sees Make her. Make it twenty. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like you know, this is I could hang out with this guy, mm-hmm. <laughs> and you know, uh, he, Michael Ironside always is always getting cast in roles where he's losing a limb. And, you know, in this, he doesn't have an arm, then he loses his legs. Oh, that reminds me of another great moment that's like a little kind of, you know, I guess it's kind of on the nose, but it, 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 the movie doesn't like stop for it is the guy at the desk at the, at the beginning that's like processing their registrations or whatever. Um, Mm -hmm. I forget what they say. I think they say like. Well, it's when he finds out that Johnny's going into mobile mobile infantry because yeah. they're all going into different divisions. He's like, "Oh, mobile infantry. That's that's God. That's what I was. It made me the man I am today." And then yeah, and then you see him pull bolts. like his chair away, and he's not he doesn't have any legs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what's up with the? Is it like? What's up with the 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 big screen outside their school that like broadcasts their grades to everybody? Yeah, yeah. I know it's crazy. And not only that, but you you can like make your friends grade like take up the whole screen like the, as, <laughs> as Carl does to, to Johnny at the beginning. <laughs> yeah, that's weird. I don't know. Why do they play football with like a metal ball now? I don't know. It's the future, you know? Um, and uh, yeah, it's interesting that uh, his parents are also like so against him being in the war. 
Um, yeah, it's it's all done. I mean, it's all done very well. It's it, like visually, I think the, I think sometimes people have like struggle with the visuals a little bit because it it doesn't look as like we. I mean, yes, the special effects are great, but like lighting wise and even cinematography wise, it has this kind of like flat look to it that's mm-hmm. not very indicative of Verhoeven's normal uh, visual approach. But again, that's all by design. And yeah, you can, like, I, you I, I rewatched about, about how I rewatched yeah. the making of thing, and uh, I don't remember if it was him or his, or the DP, but they said like they intentionally. I think they use the word plasticine. Like mm-hmm. they wanted it to look the whole movie to just look artificial. Yeah. Um, uh, oh, another thing I, I like, uh, the, um, just in terms of like character, like I, Zim starts off is like, you know, that badass boot camp guy you don't want to like deal with but he's also a guy where like you know underneath you know he's he's pretty cool you know mm-hmm. um he rips up rico's uh resignation after you know his home is destroyed and he has nowhere to go back to the i i love the part where rico's gonna get his uh his 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 lashes with the whip and he hands him the little bite block thing and he's like bite down on this it trust me it it it, it, it helps i know like mm-hmm. that's all great little details yeah, and he's the Zim's the hero of the movie. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, he takes a demotion, mm-hmm. which I I think I, I I think I was reading that that was inspired by like a real life, uh, a real life um, uh, guy. Yeah, because that does that the 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 Zim storyline does come directly from the book. Like that's how I think I mentioned that earlier. But the book ends with that same idea that they find out Zim. Bumped himself down to private so he could join the war, and he's the one who yeah, it looks you know, like wins uh, the, bat- the final battle. Based uh, that that part's based off of World War II Medal of Honor recipient Roger Young, who requested to be demoted to see combat. Yeah. So. But yeah, the I mean, it's it's a movie that has held up really well. Like Matt, you were saying that it's like it's very relevant right now, like right now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, depending on if you like uh right wing politics or not, it's it's terrifying. I also think like man, just all the the imagery, the uniforms, like it's very it's it's on the nose for what it's going for in those regards and with all of the the stuff going on with, with the unrest, the political unrest in the U.S. and, and all, the, all the crap just happening right now, it just feels like, oh, God, it's it just has terrifying prospects. And, and you see you kind of see what that ideology does to people and how it just kind of tears things apart. And it makes it does really make monsters out of people. And like we're we're kind of seeing that now. And I that to me is propaganda is big right now. Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's hard to honestly sit like you can sit there and turn your brain off and you can really enjoy that movie because everything from the special effects to the story to just just everything is on point. And then you actually look at the layers that it has and it's it's frightening and terrifying. And it really in some ways it kind of makes you sick to your stomach. I mean, it just it it does. Um, And I don't I don't know about you guys, but like you just think about the horrors of war and you see everything that these kids go through and how they're, you kind of mentioned that loss of innocence thing, bird. Like I have friends who went overseas, like in the, uh, to Iraq and they did not come back the same. And mm-hmm. like, you see that so realistically played out in this movie and it's just, 
Uh, it's it, in some re- respects, it's just hard to watch. Well, I should say too, it's it's not a movie that its its relevancy is not based on who the current administration is either. Because like, I mean, I agree. Like, you see the thing with the, the right wing politics now, and I'm a, I'm about as liberal as it gets. But I will say that like, sending kids off to die in dumb wars is not a right wing only issue. That's right? an <laughs> all wing issue. Yes, that is fair. <laughs> yeah, we've been doing that in the U.S. for a long time. Unfortunately. Yeah. That's, but you can really just see how, and you know, I, I, I guess I kind of have to be careful in how I say this because I don't want anyone to think I'm saying something that I'm not. Um, but you can really kind of see how how recruitment. God, I like I I can't find a really delicate way to say this, and but you can you no, can hey, you, know you can you can see that sometimes there could be a thin line between recruitment and just snake oil, I guess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Bert, you know. I, I have a story, actually. I, I have a story that I'll back that up. When I was uh, one of my friends who did go to Iraq, I used to go to his PT with him because they were like, hey, let's play basketball. And I was, I, I love playing basketball and I just wanted to go hang out with them. And then they, the, when I got there, it wasn't him, but like his, whoever he reported to were like, hey, so are you too good to die for your country? Like that was word for word what they said to me. And this was, you know, early 2000s when I'm probably 16, like 2000, 2001. So like it's that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. It's, forget being delicate. Like it's it happens. Yeah. You know, we have recruiters in our schools. At least I did. I don't know about you guys. In so college, like, I, oh, yeah. we, we definitely did. No, high school. Like I had. Yeah, we had high school recruiters. Yeah. But and, yeah, those are like the those are lines that the movie delivers like non-ironically. Like there's characters that say, you know, you know, it's a good it's a it's a good day to die, and you know what would become Rico's catchphrase, which is you know, come on, you apes, do you want to live forever? And everyone's like, no, <laughs> let's go die, you know. <laughs> well, you know, serving the military in the movie grants you your citizenship, but in the U.S. they grant you college degrees, and like how that that's always been a thing. Like if you just look at that parallel alone, it's it's. I don't know. It to me, it's it's something that like I wouldn't want my son to have to deal with because you get these people in front of him that try to say, "Hey, we can we can promise you this thing, that you can't get on your own without us." Mm-hmm. And it's really well, it's interesting just... too because Bird, you just made the point, and to, to go to what Matt's saying about how this is just a cycle that never ends, like that's just proved. Like in another one of those like subtle ways that's really cool. You can see like Newmeyer and Verhoeven playing with it that all these catchphrases that we now attribute to to Rico because of this movie and then even the sequels. But if you go back and watch the movie, you realize that all the, all his catchphrases actually you hear Ratchek say first. Mm-hmm. So like Rico, even he just is like, he has nothing of his own, right? He just becomes this like mentor character and even takes over his squad. So that Ratchek's roughnecks becomes Rico's roughnecks. And it's just like, that's this, that's how the, this war works, right? Like one guy dies and another guy just replaces him to the point that now Rico is just basically that guy to the point where he's even just saying all of his catchphrases. Yeah. And it's like, can't even have your own personality anymore. You're just a piece of a machine. Yeah. And I mean, it's really just taking the, I, I guess, what do they, what do they call it? You know, the, the kind of, you know, pe- people in war, you know, that, that, that meat for the grinder, meat for the grinder, you know, yeah. they're just meat for the grinder. And, you know, that's what it's about. And, you know, I mean, it, it you can again this is no slight to the troops or any of the people that do these things whatsoever but it's like you know when you go to war 
you've basically we've failed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and the, the war profiteering and and this is not a party lines thing like like Trev said, you know, right wing, left wing, whatever wing. It, it, war profiteering is very real and very scary. And, you know, you, you've right. seen, and, and you see that in a lot of just mainstream action movies. You see that in Iron Man. You see that in The Last Jedi. These are real life issues that are brought up. And it's, it's very real. You know, we, we, we spend and sell so, so much mo- We sell so much. We spend so much. I mean, and it, it's not a party thing. It's a politician's thing. It sucks. <laughs> Who would have thought that this was made, what, three, four years before 9-11? And then how long have we been over in the Middle East? Like, it's just, and yeah. that, you know, that's through, <laughs> that's from, you know, Republican president through eight years of Obama to now. I'm like, that's just one cycle. That's not even going back to all the you know, Korea and Vietnam. Like, I mean, I think that sort of, the, the cycle, again, not against the troops. That's not what this is about. This is like, this is the system that's been set up. And it, I don't know, I, I find it, it's a fascinating take, but like when you really think about it, I, I just, it makes me feel very just disheartened because by the time you get to war, like it's, uh, I, I don't really have the words to even to, to come up with to, to tell you about like the friends that I've seen that have been affected by just going to war. And I mean, like a, a lot of the people that I know or that I'm friends with that that did end up joining the military were, you know, the the kids that were, you know, you know, friends I might have had that were a little bit more confused or troubled. Like, I I don't know what else to do, so I guess I'll go do this, and that's just kind of where they end up. Interesting too, like Rico when he makes the decision to he's basically following carmen to to that that's his yep. whole goal kind of but he's turning he's he's leaving behind like basically his parents have money to pay for his way to what was it Har- i don't remember what school it was but like harvard yeah yeah going to harvard and he's turning all that down of his own free will so like again that's something that verhoeven even flips on its head there yeah um we didn't even mention that idea too. like another just another little subtle thing where like, you know, Juan Rico from the book becomes just pure Johnny Rico here. Um, Carmen Ibanez is played by Denise Richards. They all live in Buenos Aires, but everyone is just white, right? White as a sheet. And I think that's even like a cool idea. Like, again, you can just say, well, he's trying to play off these like Nazi propaganda films. It's just like this really subtle thing, too, of like, look at how like, you know, white culture is just completely, you know, swept across the globe. And these people have like, you know, Latin names. Um but they're just even in Buenos Aires, right? Everyone's white. So it's just like like those little those little touches that Verhoeven is. This is why I love Verhoeven, right? Like think about how long we're talking about like all these themes of this film. That's a movie about a, a, a war with space bugs. <laughs> and, you know, you think of a movie like RoboCop, which is about a, a half robot, half cop. But really, it's about, you know, like the militarization of police and the idea of corporations taking over law enforcement and urban decay. And it's just like, man, like. Oh. Just Hollywood needs guys like him, you know. For, yeah, for a movie about freaking space bugs, <laughs> you know, there's more substance to it than any. It has a, it even has an excuse to have. I mean, uh, but yeah, I I did always kind of wonder was that 
a conscious decision or was it like a, the Hollywood whitewashing thing? I think it was definitely a conscious decision yeah. from Verhoeven. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I, I wouldn't fly today and it probably shouldn't, you know, I mean, with representation being such a big issue, you know, um, but yeah, I always was like, you know, is this kind of like, you know, when you look at like the old Sinbad movies and it's just a white dude <laughs> or, you know, but, <laughs> but yeah, I, I can totally, that, that would be, it's very Verhoeven of him to kind of do that on purpose, I think. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you, like you said, I mean, we, we could talk for hours just on all the different thematic things. I mean, it, this movie is shockingly very layered. Um, but yeah, I mean, uh, to kind of get into the more visceral stuff, do you guys have any favorite kind of uh, action scenes or battle sequences or anything like that? I really like the assault on the when they're when they're in like the the base um, when uh, Ratchek and Dizzy yeah. uh, unfortunately bite it. I think that whole sequence plays out really well. I think you actually feel like you said because you like these characters, um, you actually like feel the dread and the tension of when they look out and you see how many bugs are actually coming for them. Uh, just the fut- how futile it feels, right? Um, I also really love the performance of Marshall Bell in that scene as the the general who's hiding in the locker. Uh, he just like yeah. hams it up really, really well. Uh, but yeah, I think that, that sequence is really fun. And then, like I said, I, I do really like uh, Rico versus the tanker bug. Yeah, I, th- those would be my top two. I mean, the, they're all good, though. Um, and yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, the tanker bug is just awesome. And, you know, he's he's like probably the closest you have to like a kaiju sized bug. But yeah, he shoots lava, like Matt was saying. Um, you know what bothers me about the soldier bugs? <laughs> And it's not like oh I I think it's dumb or anything, but it 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 it, it disturbs me. <laughs> Is that like you have to shoot them like seventy times <laughs> yeah. to to kill one of them, and that is just horrifying to me. Speaking of though, <laughs> that there is that little moment of like uh, when um, it's the one guy that plays uh, Gabriel on The Walking Dead, the priest. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the part where he's, I think, I'm pretty sure it's him. He's like, he, he shoots one and it falls down and like, it's still kind of alive. And it, you know, you get a quick shot of its eyes just like looking around and it's helpless and he just shoots it to pieces. That's yeah. another thing. That's another one of those little moments where it's like, it's humanizing a giant bug probably as much as you could. <laughs> Well, speaking to that and just what you just said about how hard those things are to kill, I, so I recently just watched this again um, for this, and I was showing it to my uh, a, f- a friend of mine, and it was her first time seeing it, and she made the point of it. She noticed, like, well, why was it that in the one, like, um, FedNet video when, like, Carl takes the gun and sh- and says, like, this is how you kill one of these, and he, like, easily kills it. And she's like, but then in the battle scenes, it takes, like, a 100 rounds to kill each one. And I never thought about it before. And I was like, oh, well, I, I don't know if this is the intention, but you can certainly read it that, like that was just more propaganda, mm-hmm. right? Like the propaganda yep. says, yeah, don't worry. These things are very easy to kill. Then you actually get in combat. It's like, holy crap, we have to shoot these things like a hundred yeah. times before anything happens. Don't worry. It's just the flu. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it won't scar your lungs, <laughs> right? <laughs> you know, I actually had thought about that when I watched it, Trev, because when that scene happened, I'm like, oh, and then you see the battle later on. 
it literally takes like 70 bullets, like Bird was saying. And I thought maybe that was just a goof, but I probably knowing everything else about this movie, it, it I could see it totally being intentional. Yeah. I also, uh, I mean, I know we probably want to move on to the sequels, but one other thing I think is really funny, and this is when uh, they do the one FedNet video and they're showing like all the carnage of the um, the after attack, and it's, they're just like flat out showing like you know, in te- people's intestines and mangled bodies laying there, uh, and then when they have then they show the cow get eaten by the alien, they censor that. Mm-hmm. I thought that was like a like a really funny <laughs> yeah. like, little subtle joke. And and uh, I and again, I, I don't know if it. I mean, this is something that could have just been purely budgetary or whatever, but when the there's the news report about uh, Buenos Aires getting destroyed, there's a whole bunch of stock footage in there that's clearly not Buenos Aires. <laughs> and, you know, again, I don't know if that's just, oh, we don't, we, did, we don't have the footage, or if it was, like, you know, the media in the, in the propaganda in the film passing something else off as, as that. Um, yeah. And then, uh, but yeah, no, I mean, and, and I think we, we mentioned earlier the, the balance between the more serious parts and the humor really is very good. You know, most movies of this budget and this style can't keep it straight to save their lives. Uh, you know, look at the, the last Godzilla movie or, you know, any number of these big movies, but this one, the, the funny stuff works, and then it, in an instant, can switch, and you're like, oh my god. I mean, I think the scene that everyone would probably remember is when they're training, and, the, you know, the, the, the kids are joking around, and the one girl trips and falls and blows the dude's head off, and you see mm-hmm. all of it, and yeah. right there, that that's a shocking moment, and things like that... You know, I don't know what kind of precautions military training has now, but, you know, I'm sure things like that have happened. Yeah, I mean, the the live fire thing is definitely real. They used to, especially like World War II, they do that, but I'm sure it's different now. Yeah. Um, Did you guys want to talk about this, the shower scene? You mentioned that earlier, and it sounded like you had something. Oh, yeah, no, I, I, I've just, um, now with, uh, you know, so much of the rightful, you know, fights for gender equality, you know, um, LGBTQ um, equality, uh, I've seen every, I feel like I see them quite a bit. Like, uh, every now and then, I will see an article that's like, you know, why Starship Troopers was ahead of its time. And I mean, there's multiple reasons, but a lot of people point out that the shower scene is... um, uh, male and female co-op uh, showers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that, that you know, I guess if there's one thing we can maybe take uh, <laughs> from this, you know, kind of militaristic fascist society that we see in the movie is that that's not a big deal. You know, you walk in, you shower, you can be a hot dude, a hot chick showering next to each other, and it, it doesn't become a sexual thing. <laughs> Well, that was already like emerging as like a theme for Verhoeven because in RoboCop, all the co- uh, all the cops have one locker room, yeah, uh, just like that. And it's the same thing; they they shower together there too. And and like Lewis is not the female cop in RoboCop, right? She's, She's just every a bit cop. Yeah. equal, yeah, to to you know um, everyone else in the department. So I think he was definitely kind of forward thinking in in that regard. I mean, yeah. and yes, it also I'm sure the studio is happy because it checks off like, yeah, we get you know nudity in our movie. But uh, yeah, I would think that 
Verhoeven would point to that as saying, you know, it's it's kind of a cynical way to look at it too. Like like you said, they're they're all just like meat for the grinder. So who cares, right? Like <laughs> that that's how they're all the same. They're all they're all equally disposable. Mm-hmm. But yeah, yeah, I I just think that uh, you know, I mean, when when I first saw it, I didn't, I don't even think that I noticed <laughs> that it was different. I was just like, oh look, look boobs, you know. But now you know, <laughs> it's it's a lot easier to look at that scene and kind of extrapolate. Either what you that, just said, or like, oh, in this society, there it's not a sexual thing to shower next to one another. That that said, don't worry. Like gender um, inequality is still in, alive and well because it's all the all the women's breasts are shown, but they don't actually have any like penises on screen. Yeah, right. So. <laughs> which uh, that, which yeah, even if made today, I don't know if they'd be yeah. able to, get, <laughs> to get that to fly. Um. Didn't Verhoeven like actually film that, and he was also nude? Yes, him and the him and the DP. Uh, the actors were like really unsure about it, and they said like, "We'll only do it if you guys get naked." And Verhoeven was like, "Okay," and he did it. And I guess the DP had like grown up in like a nudist colony, and was like, well, "I don't care at all." And so like, <laughs> they, they both did this well. is like home. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, no, it's a great movie, and you know, if you want to see something that's you know a smart kind of you know critique of of war and what a fascist society but it also just works as a cool monster movie um so yeah i don't know we should probably get to the sequels um yeah don't worry everyone we have less to say about the sequel <laughs> right <laughs> uh i mean the, the, this conversation could I, I mean this is a good conversation i'm enjoying it and there's a lot to talk about and so we we could do this forever but uh, it's probably time to <laughs> time to move on. Um, uh, how many? Um, what's a good What's a good like uh, rating scale for this? Hmm. Uh, how <clears throat> many unshown penises out of five? <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> um, and. Uh, you know, I, this this is a movie that it really does get better for me every time I watch it. I've probably watched it maybe once every five years or so. Um, also, one of the very first Blu-rays I bought. Um, but I, I mean, it gets better every time. I'm I'm just gonna come out and do a five. I'm I'm glad you did that, so I don't feel as silly because yeah, I thought I was going to come in hot here, but um, I I this is like the kind of film where I have like no complaints really, you know, like I I there's a part of me that says like I always like to have that tendency. I think you have this too, Bird. Where like should I just give it a four and a half? But yeah, you like, like you feel you well, feel guilty. What am I trying to like? What like... am I trying to knock it off for? And if I if I have to be honest, this might be this is probably going to be a controversial statement, but in recent years, as I've really rewatched it more and more. Starship Troopers has actually surpassed RoboCop and Total Recall as my favorite Verhoeven movie. Uh, I can um, get you there on Total Recall. I'm not sure on RoboCop. I know, and I and that's the I, I'll admit to like Catch Me on a Different Day. I might say RoboCop, but they're like so close. But like I think most of the time, if you give me the choice of which one I want to watch right now, I'll probably say Starship Troopers. I think it's like a little bit more like rewatchable on a fun level. Um. So yeah, I'm just gonna go five too because it's it's damn good. Uh, I think I I kind of really do think of it as like a modern classic. I will say those three movies you mentioned though that is like a really nice kind of satirical sci-fi trilogy. Yeah, yeah. 
on my letterbox, I think I gave it a four and a half. And Trev, I'm guilty of doing the same thing. We're like, I'm like, yeah, what am I doing? Am I giving this a five? But yeah. I, I, I don't know what I would honestly knock it for. It, it, other than the fact no, that there's having no penises. I love. <laughs> yeah, I, sure. Why not? Um, <laughs> but I'm, I'm going to go five. It's it's great. I yeah. can't recommend it enough. Um, uh, some in- an interesting thing I, I'm, I have in front of me about the German version. And uh, we can maybe extrapolate why that may <laughs> may be, uh, but when What's Michael the- Ironside is talking about the failure of democracy and how the veterans took control, uh, only citizens are allowed to vote. In the German version, uh, this is changed uh, to some talking about the war war against bugs, um, and the democracy is not mentioned. So, uh, service guarantees citizenship is changed to fight for the future. Um, and during the classroom scene, uh, when um, he's talking about violence, and he says, I wonder what the city fathers of Hiroshima would say about that. And Carmen says they probably wouldn't say anything because Hiroshima was destroyed. That dialogue was removed from the Japanese version. I mean, I, I get yeah. that. <laughs> In the German yeah. version, um, he, uh, he, he says, I wonder what Washington would say about that. And Carmen replies, they probably wouldn't say anything because Washington was destroyed during the first bug war. That is, a, I don't know if I'm being, or maybe I'm missing something, but that line about Hiroshima does kind of bother me because, like, Hiroshima is a functional city now. <laughs> like, people live there again. I have a little bit of interesting trivia. Uh, if I don't know if you guys know this, but when they're talking about Hiroshima and they mention that about how, you know, it was destroyed and how, you know, the movie's making the argument that might makes right. If you look in the background, it's very subtle, but if you look in the background, you can actually see Michael Doherty sitting there cheering. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I was not ready for that. <laughs> I, I thought he, I, yeah, I thought he was coming in with, like, oh. some real trivia. That was, that was A-plus delivery. <laughs> I'm, I'm on, like, pins and needles, like, oh, man, what did I miss? And then I'm like, oh, God damn it. Um, I have a stupid piece of trivia. <laughs> um, the, uh, the battle gear used in the movie was later reused, uh, Trev, for yes, po- I know. I know where you're going. Yeah. <laughs> for Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. Lost Galaxy, yep. And uh, this also says an episode of the show Firefly in the, the episode yeah. The Train Job. Trev, you're yeah, a Firefly what... guy. You remember The Train Job? Well, once that was brought to my attention, I, I looked into it. And yeah, um, uh, from what I understand, like this is a movie where, because, like you said, because a lot of stuff is practical, a lot of the props from this film have been reused in, in multiple productions over the years. Props and costumes. Yeah. Um. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, I mean, uh, yeah. All right. Now let's see how many five stars we give. For the rest of this episode. <laughs> so uh, we have Starship Troopers two. Which um, when was this one? Uh, comes along two, quite a bit later. Uh, two thousand four. Two thousand four. Okay, yeah. so that is that is quite a bit later. Um, which I, I guess part it, of the come re- on, give it its respect. Starship Troopers two, Hero of the Federation. <laughs> Say the full title. I guess. Um, <laughs> Well, yeah, I'm assuming the reason it took so long is because, you know, the first movie took a while to actually gain enough of a following for them to um, say, hey, maybe we should do a sequel. Yeah, um, and even then they're hedging their bets, right? I mean, from this point forward, the series is straight to video and the budgets are, I don't know if you guys noticed, but they're a little bit lower. <laughs> you don't say. <laughs> um, interesting thing about this is that... Uh, <clears throat> It is the directorial debut of uh, Phil Tippett um, as, as, a, as a feature, I guess. Um, he's done some shorts. Uh, 
if anyone watched uh, uh, any dinosaur specials from the '80s, you've probably seen stu- his stop motion stuff from his stop motion um, dinosaur short prehistoric beast, which is like it's on YouTube. It's like ten minutes. It's like the best dinosaur stop motion you'll you'll see. Um, but yeah, uh, and I guess you know they they just decided like, hey, it's time to maybe do this again and. Uh, and they said, well, yeah, if, you know, we have to direct something. And I guess Phil Tippett's way of, uh, working around the, who knows what percentage reduced budget, um, was to kind of, uh, make it smaller scale. So, you know, not really doing the thing a lot of straight to video sequels do where it's like, you know, they, they try to pull off the same scale with like a 10th of the money you know, and, and so he said, uh, he, he, he thought of it like, uh, the reverse of Alien and Aliens, where, you know, Alien is the small scale horror movie with, like, uh, you know, not a whole lot of monster stuff, and Aliens is like the big monster action movie. And he said, well, Starship Troopers 2 will be alien to the first movie's Aliens. Um, uh, so, <clears throat> I suppose I'll t- I'll take a volunteer uh, for a plot synopsis on this one. I can do it. It's, I think it's fairly easy. So we should say this one is also written by Ed Newmeyer, and this is just um you know these are all brand new characters, uh, which well, there's actually a point to, I'll make to that in a moment. But uh, this is a few years later. The war is still going on, and we are following a uh, a squad of soldiers on um, I don't even know if they ever named this planet, but just another planet inhabited by, her, by arachnids, and they're kind of you know engaged in this battle with them, and they get kind of like surrounded, and they have to make a retreat, and they eventually retreat back to a uh, a, a base that seems to be abandoned, right? A, a human base that seems to be abandoned. Um, so they decide to make camp there. As they go into the base, they find a soldier locked up, uh, Captain Dax, played by Richard Berge. Uh He's locked up in the in the uh, base, and they find out it's because even though he has like an outstanding record, he's like this just kind of star soldier. He's been locked up in there because he killed his commanding officer. And they're very kind of you know confused by this, but they just you know like obviously that's a big no no. So they decide to leave him locked up. And meanwhile, this like kind of dust storm is kicking up all around them. They they put up this uh, electric kind of pulse fence around the base, and they just assume like we'll be safe here while we wait for you know a, a rescue. Eventually, some other uh, you know soldiers show up with their with their general. Um, their general kind of was like you know coming up from the rear after them. Uh, he's like I'll, I'll meet you guys at the base. And he he comes in with some other soldiers that have, he's encountered from another troop. And they all come in and just, you know, introduce themselves. And there seems to be something fishy about these new soldiers. And I guess we'll just get into spoiler territory because whatever. But as the film goes on, it basically turns into, as Bird was saying, this is definitely the horror movie of the franchise. And it's really a riff on the thing. Um, because what you reveal, uh, what you find out is that some of the soldiers in the space have been taken over by brain bugs, brain bugs, uh, being, you know, they're actually, they actually were hinted at in the first film. We saw like kind of the aftermath of them here. We actually finally see what they look like. And they are these small bugs that will crawl into your mouth and actually take you over. And then, you know, you can just, they're basically undercover bugs now, you know, wearing a human shell, being able to talk as the person and just trying to spread that throughout. And they now have a plan to take over all the soldiers 
in the base, in particular the general, because they know that when they are then rescued, the general will be taken to the headquarters. And there you go. Now you have access to the headquarters of the humans. So we now have a small group of characters who have to fight off this plan. They release Dax uh, because, you know, no matter what he did, he's the best soldier they have there. And I think that's that's pretty much all I have to say about the plot. It's definitely like it's a smaller scale um, who goes there kind of riff, uh, you know, um, uh, I would just quickly say, I mean, if that's the, we all agree that's the plot, right? If we're, if we're just going to get a discussion about it. I mean, the most, the most noticeable, noticeable thing about it beyond the scale being smaller is it's not to say there's no humor, but it's definitely like very reduced humor from the first one. This really is going for more of a, uh, a playful horror vibe than, than big war action movie. But uh, I'll let you guys talk for a bit. I, I definitely have thoughts on this film. Um, I'll just I'll just quickly preface and tease my thoughts by saying I really do think this film has a, a, an unfair reputation to a certain point. But I'll, I'll let you guys talk for a bit. <laughs> I, I quite like the idea of like things aren't what they seem. And you figure that out pretty early on. But I think it plays out. And it's, it's a lot of fun to see kind of how grotesque the body takeovers are. And then yeah. what later on with just all the body horror and different things that is a lot of fun i don't feel like this movie has a ton to say about much other than like it exists and i and i watched it i don't i don't know <laughs> maybe maybe you guys feel differently but yeah i mean i don't I, I don't know that it has too much to say like it's nothing like the the first one in that yeah i mean, I mean and it really is just kind of a riff on you know the thing and you know there's a little bit of you know the hidden in there and um uh, but yeah, it's, um, it, 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 I guess it just, it doesn't really do much that, you know, a lot of movies haven't done already. I, I do admire the, the idea of saying like, well, we don't have in, a lot of money, so, you know, let's just do something totally different that's within our, our financial means and, yeah. you know, going in this crazy other direction with it i i do really like that and i i think that that's probably something that a lot of straight to video sequels could benefit from if they did it more and even and even beyond that like even beyond just the smart like the the the, the smart thinking to say well let's make a smaller scale story i also do think and it's interesting because like you know i don't even know i don't think he went on direct anything else but or no, no they're like feature but um for for the budget he clearly had to play with, I think this is fairly well directed by Tippett. I think yeah. like, you know, like you can I mean it's not like it's the most beautiful film or anything, but considering it seems like he's got a budget of about three hundred dollars, I think he makes the <laughs> the most of it. And there is some really cool practical work in here too. Yeah. Um, I it, love when uh, one of the soldiers uh, you know, has been taken over by the brain bug and is just actually like rotting and becoming this corpse and actually at a certain point he just becomes like a full puppet. And I love that puppet. I, yeah, I remember he awesome. like he, it's pretty awesome. Uh, that that is one of the the funniest parts in it is. Uh, I might even I, I've only seen this movie this one time, so I I might be misremembering it a little bit. But I <laughs> I remember uh, like he's they they're hiding him in the closet, and the guy like brings him out of the closet, and as uh, I seem to remember, as like he's kind of dragging him, and his foot I think it's his whole foot. I yeah. might be wrong. His whole his foot comes off, and he. I'm again. I'm going off memory, so I I might be completely wrong. But I in my at least the way I remember it is I remember his foot coming off, and he goes, "Hey, my shoe," 
Mm-hmm. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have to go and like watch no, that right, scene like, again. That, that but... character, the character, like that's the name of the character is Peck, and um, I I don't have the actor's name in front of me, but he's kind of like one of the, the standout characters in this. They're, these are certainly not. It's not a batch of like very memorable characters, but he's one that sticks out to me because it's like a very fun kind of wiry performance from that actor, even before he starts to just like, you know, turn into a zombie. Um. I, what I did want to quickly mention, there's two things I want to bring about this film. Um, so I don't know if you guys know this, Bird. I'm sure you looked into trivia and stuff, so maybe you saw this. But I, I think one thing that holds this film back from probably getting a little more attention, and I bet people would be more forgiving of it if it was if it could have done the original plan, was that the, the character of Dax was actually supposed to be Zim. Right, I did see um, that. Yeah, so it was yeah. written to be Zim, and it was always the plan. And unfortunately, Clancy Brown was just not available. Um, now, I say that as unfortunate, but actually, I like Richard Berge. Um, people are like, why? why? And, like, you know, it's <laughs> he was on this, like, really dumb but enjoyable show in the late 90s called The Sentinel. I'm not sure if anyone remembers that. I re- I've never seen it, but I remember Fairly it. successful. I ran for a while, and it was, like, it was one of those, like, perfect, like, late 90s like this show is so dumb that i love it because it's like about how he's this guy this soldier who finds out he's a sentinel it's like this like this you know there's this ancient mythology about people who find out they have enhanced senses and they're supposed to use like the sentinels always use their enhanced senses to protect a community and he decides to use it to just be the best cop in like this small town in washington state it's like what that's what this town needs a sentinel and uh it's just so dumb but i but i enjoyed it i just think like he's a pretty good leading man for this kind of movie the other thing I think is really weird, and I don't know if you guys even noticed or picked up on it, but Brenda Strong was in the first film as the captain of the ship that I Carmen Ibanez ends up on, the one who like dies, and that's why Carmen takes over the ship. She is in this movie as well. She's the only returning cast member, but obviously playing a new character. She plays the sergeant in this. And I just never understood why, if you have a returning actor... Couldn't you have at least just had like one scene or one bit of dialogue where she's like, I don't want to die like my twin sister did on that <laughs> ship. They don't even do that. I'm like, well, just you have this actress just like make a connection to the first film. So I just thought that was like a, a weird dropping of the ball, too. But, that is strange. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, and, and to, you know, I and I'm sure it's just partially because it's Tippett. But, you know, for, for the for a movie like this. um. And it's where, you know, you see where straight-to-video sequels to stuff like Lake Placid or Anaconda or whatever, you know, and they they go all super cheap, asylum-looking CG. And, I mean, there's certainly a fair amount of CG in this, but I think for the most part, uh, I think he uses practical effects whenever he can. Um, I was even reading um, when the, the they have the storm that that approaches them. The the clouds were made of toilet paper tubes with cotton stuck to them, and you know rolled forward, and then they they laid the the darkness over it digitally. So, you know, I I, I think that that I, I I need to give it points for that too because it's easy to just be like, oh, I have the the this these shitty cgi bug models that are probably left over from some other production let's just use those and uh it doesn't do that mm-hmm. um i i i think it because the whole time you know i what what was what was up with dax's backstory he'd murdered his commanding officer or mm-hmm. something yeah, he, he murdered 
he says that he did it because the guy was basically needlessly sending soldiers to die. Yeah, yeah. and, and that, you know the, was... the whole time everyone you know was calling him a traitor and you're gonna hang and all this stuff, and then you know at the end he is the the guy that you know survives and you know saves everyone, and then he's la- he's labeled by the Federation as like a hero, and I don't I'm not sure how to feel about that because I feel like in this future even if someone did so much good stuff someone like that would probably still get executed it's interesting because i mean it's it's actually an idea that comes up again later in the next film the idea of like you know executing your own soldiers but um i i kind of read it as just like it's just more propaganda right it's like them kind of changing the story i think that i think this is why i find the dax character kind of interesting um you know whether it's him or dax like just the way the character's written i kind of like that moment where he's talking to the general and he's like you know he offers his help to the general and the general says like well you know did you kill your commanding officer he's like oh yeah i I definitely did and the general's like well then (laughs) the general and the general just like matter of factly says well then you're gonna hang like when this is all said and done but until then i need you and he just says like yes okay because he like because he respects that general right and he kind of just gets it he's like yep i totally know that eventually i'll be murdered for that but for right now you have me as a soldier so i think like that's fairly interesting but yeah i just always took like that ending as just saying like it's it's better for them to use him as a propaganda symbol of like in a in a heroic manner than to say that like he was this guy who murdered his commanding officer they just don't want to keep that kind of stuff they they want to keep that kind of stuff out of the public eye yeah um and I mean, character-wise, I mean, yeah, he's probably the most interesting one. I mean, there's really not much to anyone else. They're just kind of that cannon fodder, you know, B-movie cast. Um, yeah, I mean, I like, there's there's a couple things. Like, I don't know, I, I, that's, what, that's what I mean. Is like, this is the kind of, my, my overall thing, I'll just kind of start wrapping up to make this point. I think the biggest detriment to this film is that it's, it's Starship Troopers 2. And so it comes with this kind of expectation and it just didn't live up to that. And I think that's why it was so hated and why it's still very hated, I think, by a lot of fans and has a really bad rap. I think if this exact movie like debuted on Sci-Fi Channel on Saturday night and it was just called Brain Bugs and it had no connection to Starship Troopers, I think you'd watch it and go, wow, that's a really good, fun B-movie, like better than most, right? But with the Starship Troopers label on it, it's it doesn't feel like it quite lives up to that but to that point i think like for that kind of level movie i think some of these characters are a little bit interesting i like the there there's the lieutenant who you think is like a total like douchebag the whole time and it turns out he's actually there's like kind of a reason he's like that he turns out to be not as bad as you think um the main heroine the the guy with the glasses yeah yeah yeah. um you know he kind of has this like kind of change of heart halfway through the film i kind of like the main heroine the one who's like the the psychic who kind of has always been questioning her psychic abilities but finds out that they're actually the key to figure out what's going on um you know the the we get the nudity back and here we get the nudity from um uh kelly carlson who people might remember as the 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 lead on nip tuck so you get to, if everyone, everyone, if you guys got the hots for her, as a, a lot of people did back then, <laughs> she's definitely vanished off the face of the earth since then. But uh, here she is in this showing everything. Um, but yeah, I think there's some fun characters in this. And I think overall, like, it's not a great movie by any means, but man, like for a straight to video, you know, little sequel, there's some, there's some fun stuff in here. Yeah. Um, so, uh, how many, uh, how many footless zombie bug people would you give this on a scale of five, up to five? 
I'll let you guys go first because I'm I don't want to go first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so on my on my letterbox, I gave it a two and a half. But honestly, I think I think it's that's probably a bit harsh. I, I do think it's a lot. I do think it's fun, and I'm gonna go with a three. So very very much a watchable movie. I also would agree, Trev, with everything that you just said. I mean, it's if you change the title, like I, I think that probably makes a difference in the minds of most people. So yeah. yeah. Um. Uh, you know, I'll give it a two and a half, but like, not like a mean one, like that I don't, I'm not saying I don't like it or, oh, you know, skip it. You know, to me, two and a half is like, you know, it's kind of okay, but you know, there's something about it that just doesn't click all the way. And, um, you know, maybe, maybe, you know, if I watch it again later down the road, I might <clears throat> come around to it a little more. Um, I, I respect what it's doing. I, I just kind of, um. You know, I, I do miss a lot of the more satirical stuff, and uh, and you know, it, it's like I said. I mean, it's not something that I would reach for when I can watch the thing or something instead. You know, it it's got a unique concept, but it's also one that like the small handful of movies that have done it have just done it a little better. So it's just one that I don't know when I would feel like revisiting but i give it a very respectful two and a half which to me means it's worth renting and you know lazy rainy day it's the perfect kind of thing to throw on yeah uh i am I'm, I'm right there with you guys like so my my thing is like my gut says i should give it a two and a half but the reason i don't want to say two and a half is because there's another one coming up in a little bit that i want to give two and a half and i definitely think this is a better movie than that <laughs> so <laughs> just by like that's, by that's center fair default i feel like i need to give this a three which which to me is fine like i do think like and again that's people might hear that and think like wow that's really high but i'm talking about a three on a level of expectation and like what this movie is like i'm definitely you have to go into this understanding that they're playing with a much lower budget that they had to take this different approach um if you can go in and forgiving it of those like of what it is walking in i think you'll have a much more like uh, enjoyable time with it and i think the problem is over the years, I'm sure most people have approached it expecting to get another Starship Troopers movie, and it kind of isn't. Um, okay, so 2008, we have Starship Troopers 3, Marauder. Uh, again, returning uh, for the script is uh, Ed Neumeyer, who is also directing. Yep. Um, I think it's his directorial debut. Um, and we have the return of Casper Van Dien as Johnny Rico. And you'll see that now he kind of has a little bit of kind of an allegiance to the, this franchise. And I, I, I don't know. I, I like Casper Van Dien. How do you feel? About I do too. He seems I like, like he seems like a cool guy that has like a good sense of humor about his the kind of things he does. And he, he's kind of like a, you know, how how you would view someone like Dean Cain, only he doesn't come with all the very bad <laughs> Terrible politics of, <laughs> of Dean Cain. Um, but, but Dean Cain also likewise has a very, you know, kind of healthy sense of humor and, and kind of just accepted in, in just accepting their lot in life and, you know, being okay with it. And, you know, so, so yeah, I, I, I think he, he's, he's like, uh, the Dean Cain, I would want to like, hang out with 
I, I've heard like Casper Van Dien talk about this franchise, and I think it's really cool that he does have such a deep love for it still. Um, you know, he, he wants to stay involved in it. He says he loves when people approach him in public and just start shouting lines to him, and he will fall right into Rico and give them orders and stuff like that. Like, I think that's really cool. He has that, you know, he still posts uh, Starship Trooper stuff on Instagram all the time. I know he's got a good sense of humor about himself. He he made this movie called Star Raiders, and, um, you know, Rift Tracks had already done Starship Troopers, and I guess he had seen that, so he actually, like, really got behind them doing Star Raiders, and actually, like, you know, when they did that one as a live Rift Tracks, he was uh, in a theater somewhere watching it. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I do like him. I think he's cool, and I thought I was, I was definitely psyched to see him come back. Uh, you know, and it's fun to think, like, this is only, what, 11 years after the first one, but it definitely felt like wow, it seemed like such a big deal at the time he was coming back, mm-hmm. even just for like this little, you know, straight-to-video yeah. sequel. And but you know, he, for a while... Definitely thing, but... I was just going to say, for a while, they, you know, they kind of tried to make him, like, the next thing. And, you know, I remember he played Tarzan at one point. And, mm-hmm. You know, but this is a good spot for him. And, like, yeah. he takes no shame in it. And that's what's no. awesome about it. There's a lot of actors who will never have any iconic characters and he's smart enough to know that he's got one right and he'll always have that character and that's a film that's going to be remembered so why not just be like yeah that's good you know yeah um the other thing i was just kind of quickly say about is like beyond the like the pressing like the return of casper van dien like the 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 hype on this film and like all the promotion for it coming back certainly was a it was definitely a reaction to the reaction to the second film of saying look at newmeyer's directing um the satire is back like that was very that was made very clear in the in the tone of the trailers and it was just very much like a this is closer to like what the first movie was and uh i mean that's definitely very apparent as you as you watch the film it definitely seems like trying to get a overall stylistic vibe back from the first film yeah um so i guess i'll kind of go through this one um so you have uh um, they're on, are they on a, they're, 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 there's, of course, the, the beginning of the movie opens with, you know, a big battle with the bugs, and I guess, uh, it's happening in this place that it has, like, a lot of, um, like, farm community, who are not supportive. Roku, Roku San, it's an agricultural planet. Yeah. yeah, they are not supportive of the war effort. Um, and so, you know, the, you know, when the troopers, you know, go into a bar, you know, they're like, you know telling them very bluntly, you know, hey, we, you know, we, we don't, we don't like what you guys are doing here. Um, you know, you, you've torn apart, <laughs> you know, the, this, this agriculture here that we have. Um, and so we're introduced to a new general, General Dix, who, uh, Dix uh, Hauser, one of the best character names. Ever. <laughs> 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 um, he and you know he's he's kind of instigating some altercations in this bar and um you know Rico s- stops him and you know Dick's uh um you know he he's in the process of trying to get Rico arrested and then you know there's an alien attack and um basically they end up having to leave and uh the 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 base just falls, you know, the, the aliens have taken over. Um, and so, uh, they, Rico is basically blamed for this failure. Um, and he's going to be hung for insubordination. Like Trev said, 
Um, you know, this this one does deal with the idea of like if you, you know, disobey orders or you, um, I think even like if you say something in public that is considered demeaning to the Federation, like your punishment is death. And and there's a, a subplot yeah. about these. Um, uh, I forget what they're called, but they they they're called like peace protesters peace or something. Protesters, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they they're literally protesting the war and for peace. And and this is where you see like where this um, society is, where like they say like anyone who's championing for peace, you know, and demonstrating, you know, will be will be executed. Um, and then. Uh, we also have uh Jolene Blaylock as Lola who um is in a relationship with Dix and you get the sense that her and Rico uh uh had a thing going at some point. Um <clears throat> and then uh we're introduced to also um Anoki who he's what's his actual like title? So he's the new Sky Marshal. Okay. Sky Marshal Omar Anoki. The Sky Marshals are like always like the the kind of like the head of uh, the military in these films and like the they're usually bad news. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um and he's just he's all about that propaganda and you know he he's got, you know, uh he's he's making albums <laughs> and music videos and it's a hits, good day to die. <laughs> yeah, hit singles <laughs> about, you know, it's a good day to die if if Which is incredibly catchy by the way, just for even like, Yeah. It's, it really is. <laughs> it, it's a it's a good day to die if you uh I forget how the rest of it is, but like if you if you know why if you know the reasons yeah, why. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um and you know, he's got music videos and you know he's got hit singles Merch. and everybody yeah <laughs> everybody. you can support the war effort by buying like t-shirts and stuff. <laughs> yeah he's got... his, his, his uh his, his hit single is a good day to die and then when the FedNet video comes up it says it's a good day to buy and that lists like all the different <laughs> Anoke merch you can buy yeah so you know he's coming out he's got merch you know he's getting people to buy into this thing and uh it just so happens um that uh what what is it? Refresh my memory. What is it that causes this crash? So well, the, the big thing about Anoki is like so. Not only is he like the first like kind of like multimedia star as a Sky Marshal, but he's also psychic, right? And Lola is basically tasked with piloting his like him from every, from place to place, right? So that's how we're introduced to her and and Dix is that Anoki is coming to visit Rokusan and they're kind of his like his escort and. A big, a big uh, thematic element to this film is this is the first film to really talk about religion in this world, and in particular how it's really kind of they've they've gotten rid of it, right? Like being religious is looked down on, and you're not supposed to have any faith in anything but the government. Like people don't acknowledge God because who cares about God? It's you're supposed to only care about what your, you know, your lieutenants or your generals tell you to care about. Anoke, who is psychic, is having visions he believes god is talking to him and uh they end up um you know i the only the, like what causes the crash is they are they are attacked right there's like a you know like um you know attacked by the same kind of goof that comes from like the the tanker bugs or whatever but they end up like crashing on this planet and you find out that it's kind of been orchestrated to where anoke believes anoke keeps telling the the soldiers who end up on this planet with him that this is all part of a plan right god is talking to him don't worry, this is God doing this. He's testing us. We're going to be like rewarded for this. 
Um, so Captain Lola Beck doesn't believe in any of this stuff. She has no faith. She thinks this is all ridiculous. And then her kind of counterpoint is the other character, uh, Holly Little, this, uh, this like blonde. They, she's uh, a flight attendant, I think they say. Yeah, I think she's just there to like, you know, help people who are flying in that. Yeah, she's ship, essentially like, more of like an assistant, right? But yeah. she's like, she's actually deeply religious. Because I think the other guy on there is a cook that crashed with them. Yeah. I man, the cook. I want to talk about the cook, but uh, they <laughs> they she really buys into like what Anoki is selling, and I'm, I won't go too much further because then you start getting to like twists and turns. But that's the general idea. And then meanwhile, um, if people are really why the hell is this movie called Marauder? Then you get into like the, the subplot of of Rico, who kind of vanishes from the film for a long time to eventually be revealed to they they faked his execution because what they really need is they want him to captain the new team of uh, marauder like mech suits. It's really interesting that it takes three films before you get to one of the key elements of the original novel. Yeah, right. Which before the Verhoeven movie is the most famous thing about, yeah. about yeah. Starship. Trooper. And here we finally get them here and, and Rico's put in charge of them and they eventually are the, the team has to come in and save the day when everything goes to shit at the end, which I won't necessarily spoil, but uh, it all, it all comes together and all this stuff with like the God, and everything it all it all pays off yeah and and, and so um yeah they and and so it, the also the whole time i guess and i guess sort of spoiler but um yeah. i guess kind of like the red herring is uh there's the person that's like right beneath anoki who the movie builds up is this like insidious woman who mm-hmm. you know she she just wants him out of the picture so she can get that promotion to right. new sky marshal and then it turns out later you know the that you know she was in on this the whole time and you know she she's the one that you know concocted this whole plan to you know get rico and that that group together and and go out and 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 do this thing and um and yeah anoki he keeps telling them they're going to meet god and then uh the flight attendant i don't think that i don't think it's like her boyfriend but there's there's another character that crashes with them who's clearly like they're into each other you know they probably would become a couple if oh you mean something. bull brittles <laughs> yes <laughs> that's that... the guy's name <laughs> yes um and so like he she is also like you know she she's she kind of like converts him too and mm-hmm. uh to this religion and then and then yeah, you you find out that Anoki, you know he he's not talking about the god that Earthlings would know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And 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 that that is where we get like this huge, like kaiju sized, you know, I guess giant. I don't I don't know if they had a name for it. I don't remember, but it does have a, it does have a name. I can't remember what it. Uh, uh, it's um. Behemocotal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Behemocotal, yeah. Yeah. Who's, like, and even, he's, he's, that's, like, the bug that, like, I don't know, to to sound kind of silly, but, like, that's, like, the bug that the brain bug would report to. Like, that's the big, like, uh, head honcho bug. Um, And, uh, and so, yeah, I mean, Rico and the the Marauders, they come and um, basically... You know, I mean, they they save the day, um, and yeah. What's interesting about that though is also Lola Beck, who throughout the movie is, you know, like everyone in this society is kind of like a staunch atheistic, you know, this whole God stuff is silly. 
and uh, that's another character that is pretty much like converted um, by the end. Uh, specifically, like they're praying together, and you know, she's like, you know, you have nothing to lose. You might as well just pray with me, basically. And it's like, you know, praying for angels from the sky, and blah. And that's when like the marauders come down, and the the, the yeah, there's some religious stuff in it that i don't know i know matt said he had a lot to say about it and i'm curious if maybe i it would maybe help me understand some of it better um but it, it kind of ends with um i mean her and dicks end up getting married and i i from that that gets like televised right yep so 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 religion is like kind of reinstated through this somehow i don't know but but matt yeah. as as you, the religious guy in the room. I, I am kind of <laughs> curious what what you wanted to what you had to say about that. Like the movie starts off by obviously putting like they're they're stamping out religion, and in fact, I think the protester is noted to be like a religious kind of extremist guy, and uh, who eventually gets caught and, and hanged. But throughout the movie, you have this tension between Holly's character, and she's very much a. I mean, she's kind of portrayed as like the dumb blonde, quote unquote. Like she doesn't seem like she does anything very well. And she's kind of always bumbling around and making mistakes. But of course, she's the true believer. And then there's this really, I think, great moment where um, she's talking to the sky marshal and she realizes that he's praying to a different God. And then she immediately wants to kill him. And like that is such an indictment on like kind of stuff that we see in the real world where you know you have all this infighting between people who are all religious but is it isn't there a line in there where god. she she literally says like it's the wrong god oh yeah it's it's like i mean it's she basically says that and then she literally says like something about killing him in the next like breath which is such a i mean that is probably how a lot of people would perceive and i think the movies is very doggedly taking a stance on how i would say like judeo christianity has basically what you would think about for a lot of Christians where, yeah, they're all cool until you do something to make them mad and all of a sudden they're against you. And then she's of course trying to kill this guy. And like, when you look at the movie later on, the government co-ops the religion and and introduces it, but you kind of realize it's another control mechanism. And for me, like that's something I've always really wrestled with. Cause like as a Christian and you look at some of the politics, especially for the far right wing, like, there's been a lot of stuff in American Christianity that where stuff has been co-opted and used as a control mechanism. And now you have this kind of idea, especially in American politics, like it's Christian nationalism. It's the idea that God and government go hand in hand, yeah. which for me, like that's the opposite of what I would say my faith says. Like Jesus's kingdom is not the kingdom of America, but that's how a lot of American Christians tend to think. And so, like, this movie kind of plays it both ways, where, like, at first, religion's bad, and then they realize, hey, we can use it to, for our advantage, and then they co-opt it, and that's kind of how the movie ends. And I so, love that ending, too. Oh, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. Go ahead, Trev. No, I, was just, I, I mean, I totally agree. I think, like, what, what raises this one above the second one is just, like, you know, when you, if, you're, if you're Ed Neumeyer coming to make a Starship Tours movie, it's always going to work better if you have something to say, right? In the first movie, they always see... Wanted to have they had this overall message about how war makes people into fascists and everything we talked about for four hours earlier. But the second one, as as we were saying, was like a fun little monster movie, maybe, but it had nothing to say. This one, he's investigating religion in this world, 
and Bird was just talking about this idea how you know they eventually bring religion back, but that that whole ending is great when they they basically say like, yeah, we just decided that actually religion is fine because we realized that God's on our side, you know, and, and he's a citizen. Like, he's a citizen, <laughs> yeah. And then we see that they actually have now made like you know now they have now they have federal chap- chaplains and the the military uniforms actually have like the cross on them, and I, I love that. I think it's like that what what works best in this movie besides an okay song, which is a bop. Um, the other thing that works best in this movie is everything about religion. Like that—that's what is most memorable about this film to me. And I'm not saying, like you said, I don't think, I don't think the film is anti-like uh, faith at all. But it's definitely making no, a actually, on, it's actually it's definitely making a statement on how people use religion to you know in the wrong ways. I actually think one of the interesting things about how um, the one character who's like she's staunchly against faith and she's she's constantly at odds with with Holly's character who is the the believer. At the end, when, they, when they're basically, when she's saying, just pray, it can't hurt to pray. And mm-hmm. as they're praying, you can see that when the girl's praying, they look up and it's talking about the angels falling. And that's when the mechs come down. Mm-hmm. I think it's an interesting observation to, to talk about like how faith works. Because yeah. she becomes a believer because she's hearing this girl praying. And the stuff that the girl's praying for is happening. But somebody else might look at that and say, well, this was all planned like as part of the mission. Faith had nothing to do with it. So you can see both sides play out in front yeah. of you. I like we should say and I I don't know if like how you guys feel about it the satire on this one is definitely and like that this is the difference between Ed Neumeyer's director and Paul Verhoeven as director right like I'm not going to say Neumeyer's as good of a director because he's not but the satire in this one is definitely way more like on the nose and very in your face I think it's very I actually do like the visual but it makes me laugh every time when they're praying and the mech suits come down and the mech suits in the sky form a halo around Holly's head (laughs) Um, and then you have the moment where Rico reaches out to Lola and it, and it looks and they frame it to look exactly like the it, Sistine Chapel. Um, yeah, I laughed yeah. at that too. Trev. And when <laughs> then, you know, we have Holly like walking through the ship and she's wrapped up like the Virgin Mary. Like everything is just, just like so obvious, you know, but I guess I don't know. I guess in the 2000s, you had to beat people over the head with their satire because maybe he was <laughs> maybe he was thinking like, well, it all got missed the first time. You know, like that could be a legit thing where he's like, damn it, like yeah. nobody acknowledged the satire. So I'm just going to make it very clear. Yeah, that's um I guess you could say that uh it's not anti-religion in the same way that the first movie isn't anti-military. It's more just right. how 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 religion just like how the military can be used to manipulate people. Um so yeah, I mean unfortunately all throughout history like that's that is what's happened. I'd say mm-hmm. like when people think about specifically in America, but when you think about like Christianity and how it's been used you think about stuff like maybe the crusades or like colonialism and how that tied to faith and how like that was used to justify things like even like slavery. Like there were people that used scripture and in, in the Bible to both fight against and fight for slavery. So it's, it's all in how you use it. And I think it, like, that's still a thing that unfortunately happens. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, um, for me, I mean, and I, I get it's budgetary stuff, like, you know, finally seeing them, the, the big mech suits, and then they just kind of land and... Stand in one place and shoot. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> so the, you know that yeah. the, 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 the climactic finale is pretty underwhelming. Um, yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate, particularly that the film is called Marauder. I almost wish it had a name that was like more indicative of like the religious elements somehow, because when you call it Marauder and then you finally, you're like, ah, we finally got the Marauder suits. I remember the first time I watched it, that was my big disappointment, how 
they only are in the last sequence and they don't really do anything. And even beyond that, the the one other quick thing I'll say about that is um, the the Marauder Squad. Besides Rico, I wish the movie could have taken a little bit more time to develop them as characters because they're just like these new characters who show up and they're like cracking jokes and stuff. But you don't know any of them, mm-hmm. right? Like not even as much as you knew like. <laughs> The, the might like the like you know the minor characters in the first film like you said like the um like like sugar watkins in the first film like i remember his name you know the guy played gabriel in walking dead and he had more character than any of these people do so that's kind of the a time the time used developing them is basically just an excuse to get them all naked for like what two or three minutes as they're yeah because like, stats come on the screen because it's starship troopers <laughs> you gotta have you gotta have nudity in there oh and the, the what i wanted to say about the cook is i don't know if you guys felt this way but the cook who's it's first of all the names is weird great the cook's name is jingo ryan um but i kept calling him tim fake nelson because he <laughs> looks exactly like tim blake nelson like, it was very distracting yeah he, he he does. Um. Uh. So yeah, I mean, uh, this is one that I I I was thoroughly entertained. Does the name Marauder is that come from this, or is that what they're called in the in the book? That is what they're called in the book. Yeah, okay. the Marauder okay. the Marauder Squadron is the mech suits. Yeah. Okay. So by titling that, you're <laughs> you're getting some hype. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. I mean, I was thoroughly entertained. I I would have liked to see a little bit more of the um the idea that people protesting for peace are enemies. And, and I, I think the reason that clicked so much for me specifically when, when I saw this was I, I watched this the Sunday, maybe that the, all the BLM marches were happening. And I was like, wow, you know, this is, uh, I'm unintentionally <laughs> drawing parallels. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of would have liked to seen a little bit more of that. But um, it's really entertaining, and I mean, for a movie of its budget and it being a straight to video part three, I mean, it's better than it has any excuse to be. Yeah, and I think again, another thing you could argue that they could have done more with, but against, I'm sure it's budgetary or just whatever. But I actually like the idea too that we finally get with Behemocoidal, we finally actually get kind of like an admirable villain from, you know, from like the arachnid race, right? Like a, not that, not that I'm saying the arachnids should be the villains because we, because what we talked about before, but you do finally want to have like a, like a kind of an arachnid that can talk to us, right? Beyond just like the way the brain bugs did it in part two. So it's kind of neat to finally see like a leader that can kind of like actually have this discussion with our heroes. And that, I think that whole sequence plays out really well. Yeah. So, um, so how many uh how many uh hung peace protesters you give this out of five? You should say hanged peace protesters just so it's not the wrong kind of case. Oh yes. Yes, that's what I meant. Hanged. Hanged. Did you yes. watch a different version of this? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I quite like this one. I find like, I like you, I find this one really enjoyable. Um, you know, it's not the, but it, what its biggest distractions are, are budgetary issues, but I, it's really fun seeing the satire come back. And like I said, have a new target for the satire. I think Newmeyer does a good job kind of bringing it back a little bit of that Verhope feel to it. Rico's not in it a lot, but it's just nice to see him again. Um, I'll go, I'll go with a solid 3.5 on this one. Yeah. I think all the stuff that really, clicked for me clicked really well and especially being like the religious one of the group i just the stuff that it said i I thought was actually very engaging and i also think very thought thoughtful so i'm also at a three and a half um i'm at 
Uh, again, I mean, uh, just kind of like the last one. I'm a notch below you guys with a three, but again, it's like it's a healthy three. It's a it's a you know, it's an entertaining, fun movie. You know, put it on on a rainy day, <laughs> rent it kind of thing. Um, but you know, on if I I could see it growing on me even more. I I did enjoy it quite a bit. Um, like I said, I mean, you don't expect a tiny budget part three straight to video thing to be worth anything and you know it 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 was good and 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 i think that newmeyer is kind of uh i mean verhoven is the artist of starship troopers for sure but newmeyer is kind of the the heart and soul of it um Mm -hmm. and and we're gonna i guess now get into what happens when that's removed a bit um yeah so so we're and, uh, uh, really quickly I should say too on that like the the unfortunate thing is um so I have Starship Tours three on DVD which by the way has the music video for a good day to die which is awesome <laughs> but uh it also has uh, an audio commentary by Newmeyer where he talks about his plans for the fourth film and getting back to the idea of him saying he always wants to talk about something he says that he's like yeah I think the fourth film will be about marriage and like what marriage is like in this world. And that sounds like it could have been cool, you know, but was, uh, unfortunately, was he, we, was, is he somehow involved creatively there at some point on the fourth I, one? I know he has executive producer credits on like all these, yeah, but I, I don't no, know if the, that's, I don't know how real the, that is. I think he, I, I'm, I'm sure it's a paycheck kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, if we're going to talk about the fourth one, the fourth one is, well, there's a lot we're going to say about it, how this is a new direction for the franchise and everything. But also, like you just said it's it's the it's the one movie in the franchise that's not written by Ed Newmeyer. Mm-hmm. So yeah. uh, the new one, so number four, uh, we're actually heading back to Japan, um, and I mean this is you know you could technically call this an anime um, because it is a, a Japanese American co-production, um, the Japanese studio. Um, Doing all the work also is um, uh, Production IG, which uh, listeners might know that name is. Uh, they're the ones that, um, with Subaraya, did the uh, the recent Ultraman CG anime uh, that's on Netflix. And in fact, the director, Shinji Aramaki, um, he directed some of that as well. Um, and again, this is a guy that anime fans are probably going to be familiar with. I'm just looking at his credits right now. Um, as a director, I mean, he's done, he did Appleseed, um, the, the reboot of space pirate Captain Harlock. Um, he did an Evangelion short film called Another Impact. Uh, he worked on, um, the Ghost in the Shell, uh, series, Standalone Complex. And then just as a designer, I mean, a ton of stuff. Um, I, I tra- designer on Transformers, uh, Mask, Bubblegum Crisis, um, Digimon, uh, the 2003 version of Astro Boy, Full Metal Alchemist, um, uh, Mobile Suit Gundam MS Igloo, uh, Naruto, um, Raiden. I mean, um, he also did the recent uh, Blade Runner anime. Um, uh, I think it was a short film. Um, so uh, uh, a name in the, the anime world. Oh, he also worked on uh, the, the Netflix Ultraman. Matt, I said that. <laughs> oh, my bad. I totally. <laughs> Apparently I, I missed that. Yeah. Um, so like a lot of those projects, uh, this is a full CG anime. 
um, written by a fellow named Flint Dill. Um, <laughs> it sounds like he should have been a character in, in Marauder. In the, right? yeah. <laughs> um, and I guess he, he has screenwriting credits on a lot of stuff like uh, um, G.I. Joe... Uh, garbage Pail Kids. Uh, That's amazing. Um, oh, these are animated series. So not the Garbage Pail Kids movie. I, I didn't. I don't even know that I remember an animated series. Um, Inhumanoids, Transformers. Um, uh, Venom is in not the comic book movie, but the the horror movie with Method Man <laughs> from 2005. Um, honestly, not the best uh, writing credit. So so that's the replacement for Ed Newmeyer, who does have a producer credit. And um, I saw in an interview that, you know, he originally was going to be pretty involved in this as a producer, but I don't know if it was just other obligations or what, but I forget what he said. But for, for whatever reason, he... he really couldn't work on it much so um i don't think we ever even said the name it's it, this one's uh starship troopers invasion. invasion yes which which uh for for what I, the sony press release says that it's a direct sequel to the first one that ignores two and three but like there's nothing in here whatsoever that would mandate that yeah, I mean, you can. I, I think you could easily look at it either way. The only thing is, like, it doesn't really pick up on any threads of like religion being an element right. of yeah, the Federation yeah. again. But beyond that, I mean, there's yeah. no reason. But yeah, that that's could, e- that's easily yeah. something that you could say. Well, there's nothing in the movie that would right. address it. Um, yeah. So uh, this one is, uh, I guess, um, it starts with Carl, who is like full blown kind of villain at this point, which, I mean, I think once he showed up with the Gestapo outfit, you kind of probably saw that coming, but he seizes uh, Carmen's ship, and um, he abandons this rescue operation. It, it, it basically abandons this rescue operation um, uh, on this colony, and uh, essentially he's, he's kind of uh, been... I guess possessed. I don't know, but he, he's he's essentially been talking too much to the the bugs as a psychic, um, you know, and he's kind of doing things for them. So, um, I guess what I mean, would you guys say that it's more or less about like what happens when the bugs take over a ship? That's kind of the story. Yeah, I mean, here. that's like so. I mean, the idea is like you said, he he commandeers um, Carmen's ship, which is the John A. Warden, which is the ship from the 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 first movie. And I was thinking about that about how, like, wait, did that ship get destroyed? But then I realized that I like that idea that it's kind of like the Enterprise in Star Trek, where this is such an important flagship for them that they just keep rebuilding it every time it gets destroyed. Because I believe it gets destroyed again in this one, and then she has it again in the next one. But um, but anyways, yeah. um, yeah. So Jenkins commandeers that ship from her. Um, and and then what the the plot of the way essentially ends up being like um, Rico getting contacted to try and like you know get that sh- you know get the ship back or whatever. But Jenkins has captured a a queen, an arachnid queen, and he has it on the ship. And he's basically trying to use the queen to um, breed a new race. I don't know, not even enough breed, but just you know he's using he's using his like abilities to create a race of bugs that would fight for the humans, like be on our side. But he loses control, and the queen takes control of the ship, and then it kind of just becomes this kind of like um, standard action film of all of our new characters. Yeah, standard kind of to... action survival. 
Yeah, take it to get get through the levels, right? Go through the ship and get to the queen and take it out. Yeah, and uh, and yeah, they they end up, you know, having to. Uh, it's actually like slightly more complicated than that, but I don't know if it's like worth getting into. Yeah, like, I mean, it, not, I mean, yeah, there, there's there's more details. We're just kind of giving surface yeah. a surface level kind of summary, but yeah, Rico ends up, uh, you know, picking up on the on the ship and. Uh, I think does it does does he sends out like uh, three ships or something, um, and the ship and the the queen basically you know just uses the 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 technology of the sh- the weapons of the ships to to destroy all those. So he, yeah. he he just ends up basically like doing it himself. You know, throws on the marauder suit and um, and he kind of helps them you know, to, to buy time so they can, uh, like basically, I don't know if you want to uh, cleanse the site of like all the bugs. Um, and yeah, we see the queen bug who, uh, I guess the closest thing I can think of is like, if you've ever seen a queen termite where they have like the really small upper body and then like a tiny little abdomen and then this huge, I don't know what you call that. <laughs> call call the rest of it, um, and uh, and and you you get some cool stuff like um, you know Carl at one point does get to like kind of command a small group of bugs to fight for us, um, and those those are all pretty neat ideas. Um, but yeah, I mean we we've mentioned Carmen and and I mean we've mentioned like the big three from the first movie and. The reason for that, I think, is probably that everybody else is pretty lame, um, and the you know I it's this is there's humor in it, but it's not the same kind of humor that we're used to. It's you know uh, oh the isn't it hilarious that this guy's name is Ratsass like mm-hmm. <laughs> you know and uh, well I mean it's like in terms of like whether this is just a byproduct of Newmeyer being gone or whatever, but like, yeah, the humor is different. And this is the only Starship Troopers movie also that has no FedNet scenes. Yeah. Um, which is like, you know, that, that bothers me. Like that's such a distinctive part of the identity of Starship Troopers that to just move over into a pure military adventure with, okay, you remove the satire. All right. But you, then you remove like this FedNet, and then it's just like, it, now it's really just, yay less fighting bugs and yeah i don't know yeah i <laughs> mean it, and it's just uh you know i can't even like come out and just straight call it bad it's just no of of the aside from the anime <laughs> the first anime um it, it's just out of all the these batch of movies it's just it's the most bland you know it's the the story is just it's it's a it's a weird way to talk about it, and I, I definitely want to hear what Matt thinks too. But like my thing with this, it's strange to watch it because you're right that story story wise, it's bland. Like we just said, there's actually like a lot. Of, there's like more happening in the story than we're saying, but it's kind of like hard to remember it because it just kind of washes over right. you. Right. It, it's kind of what, what what Joe Bob Briggs says. When the, there's too much plot too much in, the in the way of the way story. Of the story. Yeah, 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 for sure. But then what what keeps my attention on the film and why I can't say it's horrible, like you said, is that it looks incredible, right? Like, it I mean, really like, does. Yeah. the, the environments are, are beautiful and like so amazingly rendered. And then like, because it moves over into CGI now, it really, you know, so the last two films were really working at a detriment 
and granted, I, I would always prefer these movies to be live action. But once you go to the CG thing, the action scenes are suddenly so dynamic, right? I mean, like the and I, you know, obviously it's just because you can you can animate whatever. But there's some really cool action stuff happening. It's, I love the moment where um, I think it's I what's her name? It's like Ice something, um, Ice Blonde, where she's like on the outside of the ship, like as like a sniper. Like taking yeah. shots at them, like that part's really cool, and there's just some really, like the really neat action sequences. So it's and like now the mech suits can actually be used like fully, you know, with like all the badass like capabilities that you could have on screen. So it really does allow you to hit the 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 potential of this as an action franchise, but you're sacrificing memorable characters and, mm-hmm. and humor. And I, I guess if there's one thing that. I don't know, it might be, like, her only trait, but uh, Ice Blonde, she, she, like, counts the amount of bugs that... Yeah. And and it's supposed to be, like, the same... She wants to get to, to the same amount of people that died when the bugs, like, wiped out her hometown or something. Um, but, yeah, no, I, and, and I think that the choice to kind of... I think part of what, what you're saying is also, I think, the choice to kind of um, team up with Japan... And get, like, someone who's, like, a veteran anime guy, you know, I, I think that, 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 I think that is where you get a lot of the cool kind of action sensibility there. Um, and, and that is what the, the, this really is able to use as its biggest advantage is, you know, keeping the action not only, like, fun, but also just visually creative. Mm-hmm. The, the visuals are great. I think that's probably the the biggest strength of the film. Um, I actually like a couple of the ideas, but the, the main thing that's interesting is the queen's dynamic and the relationship with, with her, the queen and Carl, because mm-hmm. the queen is trying to basically commandeer the ship to, to invade Earth. And there's this whole thing where she uses the ship, she crash lands on Earth. That's her ultimate goal so that they can, the bugs can actually invade the home planet. Um, and that, that dynamic is actually pretty interesting. And I do, the, the ice queen thing, she is the one character that kind of gets a quirk. She does give that like kind of monologue story about how um, I want to say like her hometown was invaded and destroyed basically. And so that's why she's doing what she does, but it's a lot of the dialogue is very expositional. It's kind of mm-hmm. just jokes. And I, I don't know it. There, there's not a whole lot of development, not a whole lot of depth, but it is, it is a gorgeous movie. That's, that's definitely the best thing. And if you're going to watch it and sit down for a couple of, you know, 90 minutes or whatever it is, like it's, it's not a bad watch. Um, yeah, I think the other the other like little thing, and it's it's not as well developed as it could be, but it is kind of cool after like you know getting all oh, right. Rico is already back in the last one, and here he's again. But it's kind of neat to see Carmen actually get like more of a heroic role, you know, mm-hmm. kind of in terms of like the trio of characters, and and finally see her kind of you know more developed. But, yeah, and um, this is the only one where Rico, well, of the you know, the post for Hoven stuff. This is the only one where Casper Van Dien is, we don't have him as, as Rico. It's really odd too, because I, this has always bothered me since it first came out is that Casper Van Dien's a producer on the film, but it, but for some reason he didn't voice Rico. <laughs> he was just like, so feeling weird. lazy <laughs> when they did that. And Rico, and, and, you know, also in the, in the, the two 
animated films, uh, he doesn't look like him. And I, I get, like, a lot of the time that it happens for likeness. You know, you have to pay people likeness fees. But, like, you'd think mm-hmm. if you're the producer, you're like, yeah, you can make him look like me. But instead, yeah. like, Rico looks like, you know, Solid Snake from... Yeah, I was going to say like <laughs> From Snake. Metal Gear Solid. <laughs> Um, yeah, because yeah, he's even got the eye patch. Yeah, yeah, one thing I one thing I I did like about uh, the the ending um, where he confronts the queen is kind of a payoff on uh, the little spiel in the the original movie, and I'm guessing from the book because it's in the '80s anime too about you know always have a knife on you, you know mm-hmm. because he he's his uh, his suit is compromised and he has to basically ditch the mech suit and come at the queen with just a knife and you know he you know jams it into her eye and you know that's what what takes down the queen um so i thought that was like a fun little payoff a fun little nod um yeah my biggest thing is like it's just everything from the supporting characters to the the dialogue is just all very bland you know and and nothing really special this is one that I probably wouldn't revisit unless I was doing like a a series rewatch or something. And right, um, uh, but yeah, no, I mean it. It looks nice. I mean, um, but yeah, it, it is. This is in a, it's where Newmeyer is missed the most. Is this is definitely the one that has played the absolute like most straight faced, you know. And from what I understand, you know, uh, the producers and Aramaki wanted to kind of. Um, do something that's more in the kind of tone of the book. And, and, you know, I, I just think that that, I don't know. I, I haven't read the book, but you know, I, I just feel like anytime you're really drawing from the book, you're going to get something that is kind of just dry. Should we, uh, should we talk about the weirdness of CGI boobs? I, you know, yeah, I, I, yeah I, 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 that was something <laughs> I wanted to bring up because like, I don't it's know. I mean, I it's it's it is. It it it, it, it always makes me laugh. Like <laughs> I, I mean, I agree on both levels. I I kind of agree <laughs> with Matt. It, it's uncomfortable that I watch it and I'm like, is it trying to like? Does it want me to be turned on? Like, you can't like. It, it's very distracting because you're like, what are they going for yeah, here? Like, it, it's it's in. I mean, it's a it's a thing that's in. I mean, I'm, I'm even if this wasn't a Japanese production, it, it would be there because it's Starship Troopers. But just in in anime in general, you know, the, the yeah. nudity and sexualization is always really weird. Like I I don't get the hentai thing. I don't get the. But it's also like it's it's weird because it also like reveals. It's we're just talking about. It, here's why it's kind of annoying because we're just talking about like how beautiful the film is at an animation level. And it certainly is. But then when you get to like the nudity and everything, it kind of reveals the limitations of it. Right. And I guess like the self-imposed limitations, because you think back to like the, the shower scene in the first movie and like the, the Marauder suiting up scene in the third film. And you have a variety of bodies. Right. But then in this, like, of course, when the, when the women get nude, they all have these like amazing, like ridiculous, unrealistic <laughs> figure. Right. 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 And like, <laughs> All the men in this that aren't Rico look exactly the same. Like that was a huge problem for me, where I couldn't tell. Well, there's the guy, one guy who's like covered in tattoos, but other than that, yeah, there, there's two I guys especially tell. that I was I I I was losing track. Like, yeah. yeah. Um. But yeah, I I mean, it, it's kind of like where I am. I like part two more, but it's kind of where I am at part two, and like it's not like I hate it. It's not like I would say avoid it at all costs. It's just. Eh. You know, it's just not going to give you much, you know. So, 
Um, I'm going to give this two out of five uncomfortably weird CGI breasts. <laughs> um, so, a, you know, a full pair. <laughs> well done. Thank you. Uh, I'm at uh, two and a half for, for basically the same reason. It's very, very straight faced. You're the, the, the visuals and the ways put together, those things are all, they, they work really well, but it's also, it's, it is just kind of there, honestly. Yeah. Oh, it man. Just, I, it, I can't wait to see what happens on the next one. Cause so far <laughs> me and Matt are just in perfect sync. At yeah. This you point, guys I'm, really are. Is, I don't know that that's this ever, is the, this is the one I was talking about earlier. I'm giving, this is why I didn't give the other one a two and a half. Cause this is the one that's a two and a half for yeah. me. And like, that's, and it's definitely, you mean, a two. I think, you mean this is a two, the other one's two and a half. No, this is uh, this is. Oh, I remember okay. I gave, this is okay. I got you. I, I, I see. What you're saying. I'm giving this one a two and a half. And that's why I gave part two got a you, three. Got you. Yeah, um, because this is the this is definitely of the five the one I would revisit the least. Like you said, it's only going to be during like series rewatches. Yeah. Like I'm giving it a two and a half because I was blown away by the animation and by like the oh my god now I actually get to see the action sequences the series deserves, but I can't remember anything about the story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean again, it's like. It's not that it can't be enjoyable. Like I said, boring day and and it pops up on Netflix or whatever. I mean, sure, you know. But it, I think it, the blu I think the Blu-ray for it is like five dollars on Amazon, and that seems like perfect, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah sure, that's worth. And that. I feel like Blu-ray would serve these pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, I have to say, and I mean, Matt will Matt will be able to weigh in here. I mean. Same director and same animation studio as the Ultraman that that ugly, ugly, ugly CGI Ultraman anime. What happened? I I have no idea. That's just, <laughs> nah. if the Ultraman anime looked like this, I would. I watched the first episode and like I didn't even necessarily think it was bad, but I just couldn't get over the the visual aesthetic of that thing. If it looked like this, I would have watched it in a day. <laughs> Yeah, 3D anime is a thing, and I don't, I don't really understand why. That's my. I, I watched the first two or three episodes of that bird, and I struggled for the basically the same reason. Plus, I also thought it was kind of boring. But. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, if they look like this, I mean, if it's, I don't get why it's the same studio can't produce. I mean, maybe it's a budgetary thing, but I mean, just it's. I wish it looked like these. Um, so anyway, so so uh, twenty seventeen. Um, we have the fifth film, um, and uh, again, we're you know we're 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 back in in Japan for the production. Uh, uh, behind the scenes, uh, pretty much identical crew. You know, uh, Shinji Aramaki is back. Um, you know, a lot of the same uh, guys. It's it's the same studio again. Only now we have the addition of two uh sorely missed presences one we have casper van dien as uh the voice of uh johnny rico and then we have coming back uh in the for the screenplay we have ed newmeyer who um uh you know i think he brings a lot of what we missed to this movie um you also have dina meyer coming back uh as a voice cameo of sorts for dizzy and i mean we can kind of explain how <laughs> how that is possible but um matt you want to you want to give us a breakdown of this one can you do that for us yeah man uh and so, say so the basic... name oh yes <laughs> traitor of mars is the name yeah. i like that i like i just want to make sure we got that title because i like because it's like the most like classic sci-fi sounding title of them all. Okay. um 
So basically, after the events of the first, or not first, but the other, the previous film, Johnny Rico is has been demoted, and he's basically on the space station, and he's training a bunch of troopers that are more or less they're all portrayed as idiots. There's a lot of really cool action sequences that are all done like in like this VR sim kind of thing, but none of them are any good. Um, we're also introduced to this new Sky Marshal, Amy Snap, um, and. There's, we basically have learned by this point that um, people are on Mars, there are people on Mars that they don't like the war, they're not supportive of the war. Um, and Amy Snap, the Sky Marshal, is like, hey, I want to get rid of Mars. My and her intention is to, is to basically destroy it. There's a bug nest that's been going under Mars that she knows about, but she decides to basically let it take over the planet and that kind of introduced the main threat and then from there like it's your, your typical action beats but we also have a warning from carl jenkins and he um talks to carmen and he his basically if you've noticed through these films uh his ability as a psychic kind of just exponentially gets better now he's actually talking to her from like a different part of space and he warns her just before he's captured of this new plan um and so she's basically sent to mars in order to kind of help save the day and then rico um at one point is visited by dizzy during one of the action sequences and we learn that that's actually carl so like i have a question for you guys is carl making out with, with rico is that what's happening there i mean yeah scene? psychically <laughs> he certainly he certainly is yeah. so she kind of like so basically what happens is uh rico and his 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 buddies get attacked and he gets separated from the squad. They get rescued by um, one of the last pilots on the planet. And Rico is then visited by like this ghost sort of thing of uh, Dizzy. And she's telling him where to go and what to do. And we don't realize till a little bit later, but it's actually Carl who has been captured by the sky marshal. And Carl is trying to sabotage the plan to destroy Mars Meanwhile, Rico and the cohorts are trying to save the day, and that kind of leads us to the, the climax. Would you say that's the generality, the, the general plot there? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the only two details I would add is, um, you know, the the deal with Mars is that we we have now colonized it, and they're very neutral and not support, not, yeah, they're not, not really they're not supportive, supportive of the war effort. Yeah. Which I, uh, you know, I so so basically, the Mars is to Amy to Amy Snap, they're they're it's useless. And um, she says, you know, we could, I, I can sacrifice Mars and, you know, use it as an excuse to get my approval ratings up. She's obsessed with the ratings. Um, Which apparently update in real time. Yeah, in, in, in the Starship, yeah, in the Starship Troopers universe, uh, as 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 they give speeches, they have a monitor that shows their approval ratings. Um, and uh, she could you imagine if Trump had that, guys? I'm just throwing. I, I, he might as well. I mean, I, I wasn't I wasn't quite going to go there on a podcast, but uh, yeah, the the it's, she has an equally unhealthy obsession, you know, over her over her uh, approval ratings and you know that's i mean you can really kind of draw parallels to probably multiple events in american history and history in general of you know i i we can we can let this disaster happen to make us look better i mean mm -hmm. that may or may not be happening now to an extent um so I mean, again, that that's that new. Th this is the Newmeyer that you know we missed. 
you know that that that's that's my takeaway and you know we we you know we're back with you know the fednet uh adverts and 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 it's your live action which i thought was interesting yeah 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 it was an interesting choice um and you know that that satirical edge is is back and um uh and you see um another concept from the book is uh the idea that the mech suits, you know, they can use their um, their jetpack booster things to to leap like super far, um, and you know we get like whole action sequences, um, you know, where where they're trying to use those, um, and you know, calculating how much fuel and how many leaps they can make, um, and that stuff's all pretty cool, um, you know. And I, I like the idea that Rico is left in charge of these dumb kids who can barely do anything <laughs> you know it's kind of funny seeing, <laughs> seeing him have to deal with that um i gotta say though what's the guy's name the, there's one guy in in his squad that is a lieutenant and he's like scared of everything my question is like how does someone like that become a lieutenant you think that guy yeah, would like, be stuck in the like mail the, room or something? the guy with the glasses yeah yeah like, yeah is it is that geo uh, no. it's something, it's, uh, uh, let's see, it's, uh, it's something it like Soba or... character names. And, oh, maybe you see, a, yeah, but yeah, that guy, uh, I did not like that guy. Um, yeah, it might be Geo, but they must call him, ba- oh, uh, Baba, Lieutenant Baba. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's yeah. him. God, from the first scene, I just hated that guy, <laughs> Um, but it, it, the, the cool thing about this movie is though, that it brings all the positive stuff that we said about the last movie with, you know, the, the, the cool visuals and the, the, the cool action sequences and, you know, the creative, um, you know, the, the creative, I guess, composure and animation of it. Um, and it combines it with, you know, new, Newmeyer writing it so it's it's the best of you know the the cg movie and the best of what we love about the the first three kind of combined together and uh, i don't know honestly i i i was i was really impressed with this one i you know i really wasn't expect maybe it it might be because i wasn't expecting much you know seeing as we're at the fifth entry the second one that has is just a you know a cartoon and following up you know the least interesting movie of the bunch but I really dug this one. Uh, I, I had a really good time with it, and you know, it's it's short. It's only hour and a half or whatever. But even at that, it felt like it just flew by. I mean, um, and and I think Amy Snap is a really interesting and cool villain. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I I really really was not expecting it uh, to be as as good as it was. Yeah the, yeah, the series is like at this point falling into a pattern, right? Where like there, where an initial sequel goes like, well, let's try something different, and you can tell the fan base goes, well, no, <laughs> and then the next <laughs> one is like, oh, all right, we'll get back to what you like, and uh, and that so that happened with three, and it definitely happens with number five again because you said you, they they reinstall the satire. It's uh, a very much a <clears throat> obvious effort to bring Newmeyer back and and get it back on track. Um, I agree. Amy Snap is really fun. Um, I love I, I do love the thing with the the real time approval ratings and her determining everything she does off of that. I love when she's introduced to us that they say on the FedNet video that federal scientists say she's the smartest woman that's ever lived. 
So just like that <laughs> yeah. use of propaganda again. You know, and, um, and at, at 20, at, at, she's only, she's really young. 26. Like, yeah, at 26, that, yeah. you know, what's it like to be the smartest woman of all time? And, you know, she's doing that, like, you know, she's trying to be all charming and cute and, like, you, you know, and you can tell it's all just fake. And as I pointed out to you guys when I first watched it, she's definitely, like, animated to look like Emma Watson. Like, it's just, like, so obvious to me. Yeah. When, when um, I, dude, when I, um, when you said that, I, I, like, I Googled it after I watched the movie, and there's, like, a whole bunch of Reddit threads that are, like, is Amy Snap supposed to look like Emma Watson? <laughs> there's, like, a ton of side-by-sides and stuff. I like so and it's not surprising because this usually happens with animated films you know it just gets better but like the animation is even better in this one than it was in Invasion it's like the now that like the small details on in like environments and stuff are incredible and uh I love the little detail of how now Rico's eye patch has like the FedNet uh eagle on it that was awesome <laughs> uh, we didn't even, like we should, yeah and so you know, Casper Van Dien's back as the voice that's great um with the Dizzy thing again, it's like it's weird because they brought Dina Meyer back, but they do not animate Dizzy to look like her. In fact, she's blonde. And I just thought that's so weird because it's not like Dina Meyer has such a recognizable voice that it matters if she's back, if the character doesn't look like her. But I thought it was just, you know, I guess it's a nice touch that they brought her back. Um, I wonder if they even asked, uh, you know, Neil Patrick Harris and Denise Richards if they're interested. Um, <laughs> they could have just assumed not. the answer was no. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like Denise Richards might do it, but who knows? But what I think is interesting, too, is like, because, Bro, you're saying how, what you expect going into a fifth film. And this, not to get too overly cheesy with this or anything, but it kind of is neat to see these characters again, like the, the trio back at this point. And also like you were talking earlier about how Carl devolving into this like more villainous character, but he starts to have like more redemptive elements in this one. And as a fan of the franchise, right, when you get to the fifth film, it's actually does, it is kind of nice to feel like you're seeing character arcs play out over a long time and see like the characters develop in that way. So yeah, I think there's a lot this one does really well. There's some awesome action in this one. I love the sequence where, Johnny is like running away from the bugs and putting on the pieces of the outfit, like or the mech suit one by one from the different dead troops, uh, yeah, and like ass- cool assembling too. the suit. Like that part is great. Um, yeah, this one, this one's a blast. I think like for for like this iteration of Starship Troopers, mm-hmm. this new CGI direction. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of. Fun. I mean, I I had a lot of fun watching this one, and it was a welcome. Like I wasn't expecting much, especially after the previous film, but this takes everything that kind of you want to bring back. And as we talked about, brings it back. And, uh, you know, it's just from start to finish, I was engaged and like, I liked the idea of having the sky marshal again, every time the sky marshal shows up, you know, something bad's happening, but like heard the, the villain, the, the lack of care for anything, but herself and her ratings and everything sound familiar. But like that, that whole deal is like, yeah, it's a, it, it works really well. And, and it's hilarious, honestly, like the, seeing the the ratings go up and down and like i think it gets down to like 17 at one point like the reaction that she shows and expresses is pretty yeah and what what's the scene where carl like um like he 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 basically exposes her plan during her speech and he gives her a nosebleed and like she's (laughs) like panicking is like she's seeing her numbers just like drop it's yeah. it's also it's also the first movie in the franchise. And I mean, at this point, I guess why not? Because right, you're five in, everyone's figured it out. But it's kind of neat that at the end, it's the first time where they ever verbalize like why this war just can never end, right? Where they finally come out and say, yeah. like, look, we we just we're never going to let this end. We have to keep it going because, and it's an idea we've seen done other places. But they say like, we keep this war going because it's the only thing that unites humanity together, 
right? Like we all fought each other until we had a common enemy. So now we just have to always have the bugs. And and I like that because it puts the franchise in an interesting place where, like I said, you could you could make 50 Starship Troopers movies in this continuity and you're never going to allow it to be like the final story of the war, right? So every movie is just like a different mission or a different thing that happens in this this long, long eternal conflict. Um, but I like that they finally spell that out. Yeah. Yeah, this is a solid one. Um, so, uh, um, how many, uh, oh, wait, well, okay, so. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so, you know, at the end, you know, uh, Amy Snap is, is exposed as uh traitor. And uh, it, it, at one point, there's a kind of a rap song that comes on. It's like, what did Amy snap? No, blah, blah, blah. And then during the credits, <laughs> there's like this really weird, like new metal version of it. And the lyrics are this, it's the same thing. Like what did snap? No, da, da, da. it's like, it was very strange. Yeah. <laughs> Is that the song that you were thinking of earlier? Trent? Yeah. I was thinking like, it's really funny. Like I wrote that in my notes <laughs> about like, what's with this goofy metal song. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's really a, a very bizarre choice. And like, I can't find it either. Like I need to find, I need to find the song. Someone send it to me. <laughs> I even looked in the credits, like to see like who performed it, and like I got nothing. So someone send me what did Snap know, and I don't know. We'll we'll figure something out. We'll send you like a quarter or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, that was that's one of the strangest. That might be the strangest thing I, in in my. And if you can send, if you can send us a video of Emma Watson listening to "What Did Snap Know," we'll send you. Oh two my god! <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, honestly, my uh, that might be the strangest part of my whole Starship Troopers journey here, um, because I still can't figure out what why. <laughs> um, what if she watched him was like, "Is that supposed to be me?" <laughs> <laughs> she sues them for likeness. <laughs> Um, but no, this, this one's really good. Honestly, like it is really hard for me to choose whether I like of the sequels, like if I like this or three more as of right now, I'm, I might say this is my favorite one after the, the first, um, I, I like this one and three, I would revisit. Mm-hmm. Um, so honestly, I'm, I'm going to just come out and give this a three and a half. I, I was really impressed by it. I like it less, a little less than, than the third one, so I'm at a, a solid three. But I, I would revisit it. it. I think it's worth, um, I think it's worth checking out for sure. Oh, man, me and me and Matt might as well get married after this because man, we are just <laughs> we are dead on all along the way. I give this one a three also, and it, this might this may be unfair. I think it really is just that at the end of the day, I'd probably throw on three because it's live action, mm-hmm. um, and so like that's like just this slight distinction for me where I kind of prefer that. But uh, but that said, like I I I think this is an interesting direction for the Starship Troopers series to go, and like I guess since we're wrapping up, I mean I, just as a preview, like. I don't know what the future of this franchise is. Like the most recent thing was they were talking about rebooting it as, as like a TV a, like series, a, and then also a TV as a, series or then a like PG thirteen movie. Reboot. Yeah, and then um, I honestly would rather just have because I know Casper Van Dien and, and Ed Neumeyer are still down for doing more. I just have another. I'd rather have another one of these. 
yeah, I'd say just do another let, let the CGI one at least be a trilogy as well and give us one more of these because I think I think now they've got the, a good feel of what this even the CGI version should be. Um, and the one thing I, and I'll say like if you need an idea for that, the one part of the franchise we didn't talk about was um, Roughneck Chronicles, which mm-hmm. was the computer animated show, uh, which I never bothered to watch. And the, the reason I've never watched it is I know so that one is like a um, just a basically a, a remake, a retelling of the whole story. Um, but it was done as different campaigns. Like there'd be like a run of like six episodes that were called like the Clendathu campaign and everything. And the last one was called the earth campaign, which is like the, where the battle finally comes to earth. And they, they, they never, they never, they were never able to finish it. It got canceled and the last four episodes were never made. So oh, I never wow. bothered to watch it. Cause I'm like, well, I'm not going to get invested in this show that I know doesn't have an ending. Right. But the reason I bring that up is like, that's the thing that keeps evading them. Um, I don't know if you guys watched through the credits of Invasion, but there's actually a post credit scene that shows yep. one of the bugs survived and it's like in the sewers on, on Earth now. And so I was like, oh, I guess that's what part five is about, right? But no. So maybe part six, if you do it, could be about like, well, there's, you know, some bugs on Earth and like that. We could finally have it there. I don't know. Just spitballing if, if uh, they want to hire me. Um I'm available. And, but, uh, uh, you know, as a kaiju podcast, have to uh, say that would give an excuse to do a lot of really cool city destruction scenes. And, uh, like, mm-hmm. you know, they stick with the, the an- Japanese anime studio. You know, I can think of <clears throat> one franchise that didn't give us any of that in its anime. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I, I think that that would be like a logical conclusion to all this, and I would be totally down for it. Um, uh, but yeah, Starship Troopers, that's, uh, you know, that's, it's a longer episode, but there there's quite a bit to, the, the, a lot of content, a lot of stuff mm-hmm. to talk about. And yeah, I'm, and I'm especially not digging a PG-13 Starship no. Troopers. How would that even idea. work for this friend? That doesn't seem like it would work at all. I don't know. Well, it's really weird, too, because, like, the thing I keep saying, right, is, like, it's going back to what we talked about earlier in the episode, where they, every time I hear a talk about the remake or the reboot, it's always like, well, we want to get back to closer to what the book was. And it's like, God, these guys need to realize the book is not very interesting. <laughs> like, <laughs> right. Yeah. That's not the right call. Like, the, the reason this franchise works is because they reinvented it and did something different. Um, and I think it's just another one of those silly things where, like why do a full reboot when you have Casper Van Dien who's still interested in the part, right? So if anything else, just make another movie called do that, do that typical thing where you could just call it Starship Troopers, but let him still be in it as like an old Rico, right? And have him be like the commander now and introduce like a new team or a new like young squad. I'd much rather see that than just a full, like, well, let's disregard the original continuity. Yeah. I'm not into that idea. But, uh... Question for you guys, and maybe there's not an answer to this, but are there any like known besides the the reboot idea? Are there any like floating scripts out there? Or any ideas that weren't used or even talked about besides the just the straight laced kind of reboot? Not no, not that I know of. I just know like the the reboot almost happened, and then like I like Bird said, there was talk of like a TV uh, yeah, version and, of it. Yeah, I, and I mean, I'm sure those things might have treatments or something out there, but I, as far as I know, not it's not like public. Mm-hmm. But you know, I'm sure there's like an earlier draft of two that has you know Zim in it or, or something like that. But um, yeah, not that I know of. So but, yeah, yeah, if yeah. anything, like the, the 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 main message I wanted to get across in this episode, and I hope we did now, is that yes, the first movie is awesome. It's the shit. It's one of my favorites. But 
don't don't disregard this as a franchise if you've always avoided the sequels because they just seem cheap and whatever. I mean, they are, but they're fun. Game yeah. of view. And it's it's a, it's a it's a it's a good franchise in that the one we like the least we still said like yeah it's worth a watch yeah. this this is a franchise which is surprising you know five entries four of them straight to video and it never embarrassed itself right it never became like ugh god another starship troopers like it's yeah. it stayed fairly consistent yeah 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 for, I, for sure and um for an idea that i thought was a little out there you know you know, technically, three of the things we talked about are Japanese monster movies. So, yeah, no, I mean, the, the, it, it's a fun franchise, and I, I think that you know, we give the sequels a chance. Is it? You're not going to get a classic like the first one, but you are going to get entertainment and even the worst of, of of the films um, is worth minus the anime. Out. Well, I said the films. <laughs> I'm not counting the, the '80s thing, but. Uh, but yeah, Trev, thank you for coming on. You've been a stranger yeah, lately, but it's been it's been a pleasure, and I'm sure we'll you, I'm sure you'll be back for some something later, some asylum movie or something. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, you guys, you guys, good to go. Yeah, we're good. All right, good night, everybody. See you. Thank you for listening to the Kaiju Transmissions podcast. Please take a moment to rate and review us on iTunes, Podbean, and Stitcher. Make sure to subscribe for all the latest episodes. You can also check us out on Twitter at KT underscore podcast. You can check us out on Instagram and Facebook at Kaiju Transmissions. And you can email us at kaijutransmissions at gmail.com if you have any questions or comments. And we will see you next time.